tonight, right now, right where we're at, I want you to uh, welcome the one and only returning to the studio, Mr. Eric Lee. <laughs> this is all. This is getting like more and more like a morning show. Yeah, really. <laughs> He's like, yeah. Yeah. I was about to turn it off. <laughs> no, I, it's not a morning show because if morning show, I wouldn't be on it. That's yeah, right. Yeah, right. Morning and me don't get along. No, I don't blame you. I don't blame you at all. It's so good to have you back. Uh, one of the things we want to talk about, we we wanted yeah. to bring you back on after the after the World Series because you know you were you were watching those Dodgers like like a hawk, and you were like you you, you said you got two innings, and yeah. you so you come back on after the World Series. Which, now by it's, the way, that was the first time we've ever measured our time. In innings, in yes. innings. <laughs> it was very vague. It's like the it's like the worst component of time because it could right. be that could be ten it minutes. Could be anything. Yeah, <laughs> two hours. I I, I got to tell you, uh, I I don't know why does this year more than ever I'm I'm having baseball withdrawal. I don't know what the hell to do with myself right now because oh, literally yeah. this yeah. this most most years, beginning with spring training till the last out of the World Series. Um, my schedule and what I do every day is based around when the Yankee game starts and then when the Dodger game starts. Because wow. I'm a Yankee fan anymore, I'm a Dodger fan. Don't 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 right. ask me to explain that because I mm. can't. But <laughs> I watch I watch every Yankee game and every Dodger game just about. So I don't know what the hell to do with myself right now. Oh, I mean, said that, congratulations to, to to the Braves um, yeah, because they, they sure as hell did it. I mean, they they not only won the postseason, they dominated they pretty did. much every. Yeah series they were in they did and um shocking awesome <laughs> though I will take yeah. it. we were re, we were re-listening to this i you know i was going to bring it up we were re-listening to this and one of the and, and the sound bite that i was going to take from that was he he said well atlanta's good but they're not world series good and i i wanted so badly to <laughs> take that very clip. wrong <laughs> yeah yeah terribly sorry everyone out well there. my uh I'm um not the Braves fan but I'm sorry yeah well he said it that guy right there well one one reason why I'm actually the only reason I'm really you know happy for the Braves is is I think I mentioned last time I was on um tenor saxophone player dear friend of mine Jim Eminger who played in a band that I played with for many many years and he's in Pittsburgh he's a die hard Braves fan Oh. And he's a baseball guru. So I'm happy for my, my buddy Jim because his boys won. And Jim sent me um, an email yesterday where, where he mentioned that the odds, the Las Vegas odds on the Braves winning the World Series in August before they actually started to play well was something like 500 to 1. Holy so, wow. um, so if anyone had bet like, you know, 100 bucks, they'd be like, what, $50,000 to the good right now. So, wow. Um, Crazy. So, crazy. um, you, you know, think about that next year. So, you, you know, get well, the odds will up. not be the same. No, no, but I mean, you know, it, it's like it's it's almost worth it to like take the worst team that you could possibly think of, just bet ten dollars because if you yeah, lose right. ten dollars, what the hell, you know. So, but anyway, I'm happy for my, for my buddy Jim, the Ice Man. He's, he's he's you know he gets to spend the the postseason or the off season, um, you know. Being yeah. happy about his brave. So and and I tell I tell you what, I mean, it's it's um they got hot at the right time. Yeah, and right. pitching, oh, yeah, pitching, yeah. pitching, man. You, you, you know, they gave they gave the world the world series MVP to Solaire, which which I could see, but I would have given it to the freaking bullpen. Yeah. Oh, right. You know, oh, just yeah. like a co co MVP to those cats, uh, uh, particularly uh Matzik and and Smith. I mean, oh my God. 
you know, and, yeah. and Freed and Freed stepped up, you know, he'd had some rough starts, but he stepped up in, in that last game and just, oh boy, you know, it was great. Yeah. So, you know, and, and I wasn't going to root for Houston. I couldn't root for Houston. So you know, <laughs> by then I was like, okay, brave, raise them all in. So. Yeah. yeah Tamar anyway. was a little bit, yeah, because Tamar is from Houston and she was, yeah, I know she was pulling for the, yeah. for the Astros and it was like, yeah, I'm sorry that didn't happen. Well, the only cat on, on Houston that I was interested in playing well was Korea because I'm envisioning him in pinstripes next year. So, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, you know, anyway, so we'll see. Uh, uh, right, so we, we, had, we had you on before and we had like a ton of questions, but I, I'm, I'm so glad that, you know, you, you kind of feel a little bit content, though, having going through all that baseball. Do you not like football at all? Is like is. It's, like it, it's, it's not even it's not even my ra radar screen really um yeah for um it, it, it yeah it's it's um there's a friend friend of mine like the singer billy price who i played with with my friend jim he mm -hmm. once described all the other games I'm, I'm sure he didn't come up with the phrase but he he would refer to all of the other games in pro sports as back and forth games because everything in football uh hockey basketball uh and even like tennis or soccer all the play is back and forth you know, just right. everything teams going this end to score the offense, defense, then you turn around and go the other way. Um, right. Baseball is every direction yeah. at once. I mean, you got a ball going one way. You got some cat in the outfield chasing it with his back to what's going on. And the guy who hit the ball is just running around in, in, in a freaking circle. Now, right. who the hell ever came up with that? It's the <laughs> right. silliest game that was ever invented. But yeah. it's it's it is the only athletic pursuit, really, that I him into at all i i the other games the back and forth games just they back and forth and you know yeah one of the things that happened so. to denote about football was the fact that you know when you get to the super bowl you got one game and if you have a bad day that's it you're that's out it. Yeah. <laughs> there is no yeah. seven games where okay let's let's figure out and re-strategize yeah. yeah yeah so yeah. that's the one thing i appreciate about football is just like you got to be well from and, from the other i think that's what i like about baseball because baseball you can you, you know you well, just one thing about about the postseason now, because I'm I'm old school. Um, all of my preferences and my teams, the Yankees, Dodgers, or whatever, notwithstanding, the World Series should have been the Giants and Tampa Bay. I mean, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, if you want to really think about it, old school. Um, you know, we the the regular season used to be called the championship season, and there was one winner from each league, and they went to the World Series. Even with divisions, at least, you know, you had a seven-game division series. But now with the wild card and all of that, the postseason is really more or less like a tournament. And it really doesn't have that much relationship to the regular season like mm -hmm. it used to. So I have to keep reminding myself that, you know, right. because right. I, in, you know, the postseason, the really marquee matchup should have been the Dodgers and the Giants in the second game or in the second series rather than the five game series. Mm. And it's just the quirks of the way it worked out this year. So by the time, you know, I mean, you got the giants had 107 wins and they're gone by the first divisional series and they're sitting watching the Dodgers collapse. Right. So, I mean, they, you know, yes. you know, so, I mean, like I'm not a giant fan, I'm a Dodger fan. So the giants are like the evil empire for a Dodger fan, but even <laughs> yeah, from that yeah, stand, yeah. as a baseball fan, I'm sitting there giants fan. Damn. Damn. They're right. just looking at this and say, what the, 
Right. You know, so, <laughs> and, the, and the same with Tampa Bay. So you got Houston. Okay, Houston, you, you know, won their division. But the Braves, I mean, give me a break. But once again, the Braves yeah. got hot in every series. They just bap, 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 done. That was it. Yeah, was it. That when was they it. lost that third game in Atlanta, everybody in Atlanta was like, yep. oh, this, please don't tell me this is the Super Bowl Repeat. all over again. Yeah. I was looking at my wife. I'm like, oh, here we go. They came back to Houston and said, okay, yeah. enough of this. We're, 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 we're winning this tonight. And, and, and Freed and Freed was just like Freed was just on, on you know you know I was my only thing about about baseball today is I mean you know you can take the cat out after what seventy six pitches and right. like if it ain't you know once again if it if it ain't broke don't fix it but that's right. baseball now unfortunately yeah, I, I you know, know. Yeah. the pitcher goes in for three innings okay he's done, done. you know but yeah. any anyway they 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 won and and they 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 deserved it so they did, the yeah, they, did. Yeah. they all right they, they earned it. Yeah, earned it completely. Wait well, till next year. <laughs> well, that's, what, that's what Braves fans were saying for about twenty some years. Yeah. Well, well, I, I'll tell you this, Eric. If you if you happen to be uh, in Atlanta at any point in time during the baseball season, just uh, give me a ring. I'll be more than happy to take you to the the Brave Stadium. Had you seen that Brave Stadium? I know. No, I, I haven't seen that because you know when I when I I lived in Atlanta from eighty from fall of eighty three, you know, through eighty six or whatever. And I mean, yeah, that's yeah. when I was starting to work with Prince. So I really was on the road an awful lot mm -hmm. but in that first year year and a half that i was there um god i i lived up i uh, lived in beretta for a time and then we lived up in kennesaw for a while um and i used to go to braves games all the time um and back in those days you know old atlanta fulton county stadium which was a yep. pit i mean it was yep, a really yep. really ugly and it was not kept up particularly well either yeah. um but the but the good thing is I could go and get a, a field field box seat for like seven bucks, right? And yeah. no matter where it was, by the third or fourth inning, I was moving down behind home plate. Oh yeah, because yeah. there was nobody going to the games in. You know, right. The, well, the, the, in fact, the only games that people would go to when the Dodgers were in town. So hmm. you know. Well, next time you're if you happen to be in Atlanta, please make sure we'll make we'll, we'll get you to a game. Absolutely, oh, absolutely. Yeah. No. We're, gonna, we're gonna get you taken care of. I know that I can see all these people like not baseball again. <laughs> um, no, it's 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 not his fault. It's our fault. <laughs> we did bring it up. We you know we're in Atlanta right now, so he we had to rub my it. face. My hey hey, you know I mean it's it's like the only thing I love more music is baseball. So sorry, sorry boys. You know, yeah. In fact, uh, yeah, no. in fact, the funny thing was a print print story is is we were in L.A. Me and um, Matt Bliston, Atlanta Bliss, trumpet player, my dear friend from Pittsburgh and Atlanta, um, who was my section mate all the years that I was with Prince's band. We were out in L.A. Uh, for a week or what, what re recording with Prince, but this is before Paisley was built. And, and we used to do most of our recording in L.A. at Sunset Sound. Mm -hmm. um, and one evening we weren't needed. So uh, Dodgers were in town. So I said, we're in L.A. We're going to Dodger game. So me and Bliss and me and Matt went to the Dodger game. So we got, you know, game in about 1030 and we're driving back um, in, into in West Hollywood. And we said, well, let's stop by the studio. If Prince is there, um, sometimes it was like if we show up, you know, with Prince, it was like um, out of state, out of mind. But if you're in his face, <laughs> then he might find something for us to do. And right. that's a, and that's a that's another paycheck. You know, I mean, studio paycheck. So let's drop by the studio mm -hmm. and who knows when we get a paycheck out of it. You know, this is what we did for a living. Um, so anyway, we stopped by the studio and and I had a Dodger jacket on and he looked and said, what what, do you, what have you been doing tonight? And I said, well, me and, you know, went to a ball game. Prince 
Prince was into basketball, but baseball was something he couldn't relate to at all because of the pace of the game and everything. Yeah. It was just not that, you know, Prince, Prince had the, um, the, you know, he had the patience of a mosquito. So, I mean, you know, baseball was not something he could relate to. He, he just looked at me like, you went to a baseball game? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was like it was something so completely out of his. And I was like, well, um, yeah. <laughs> so anyway. <laughs> so have you ever attended an, uh, an event? I mean, what type of events have you uh, been to with Prince outside of, you know, the studio or anything? Anything that's unusual? I mean. Like is, um, is onto a basketball game with him or anything like that? No, no. Um, concert once. Oh, um, okay. In, in, interesting story. Yeah, it it was. Um, it was at the time that we were. I was out in LA. We were doing those those uh, flesh sessions. Mm -hmm. This was like uh, December. It was right after Christmas of '85, I think it was. And I had been in Florida. My my parents at the time lived in in South Florida. And I was there for the holidays. And my brother called me that like the day after Christmas said, Prince needs you out in LA. And I said, oh man, you know, the hell. Um, okay. But he said, no, it's only for a day and easy to come. Well, well, it, it was the session that we did the Miles Davis song, you know, Can I Play With You? So that was oh, cool. Anyway, right. so any, anyway, I knew, I knew better than to expect that I was only going to be there for a day or two. So like a week goes by, a week and a half. And well, anyway, it's, it's, it's the um, week went by. It's like New Year's. And Brent, Brent says to me, he said, um, what are you doing New Year's? <laughs> and I said, um, I was supposed to be in, in South Florida with my family, but I'm here. So I assume I'm going to be in my hotel room watching the ball go down on, you know, at the Times Square at nine o'clock L.A. time um, on TV. That's what I'm doing New Year's. You, you know, you know, my, my record call me out here for, you know, you know. Um, and he says to me, he says, well, Patty LaBelle is playing a, a New Year's Eve concert at, at the Universal Amphitheater tomorrow night. And he said, um, let's go. And I said, well, okay, that sounds yeah. better. So <laughs> an, anyway, then it was, it was Prince Jerome Benton and myself. And, and um, I, I, th I think it was a, like a purposely a late, a late concert. Cause I vaguely remember that she sang Auld Lang Syne at midnight. So I guess it was a late concert. Yeah. Um, so we went and, and um, it, it was interesting because, I had seen Patti LaBelle, you know, several times over the years. You know, we were talking about the Chitlin circuit last time it was on. Right. And right. I remember seeing Patti LaBelle and the Bluebells back in the 60s when I was a kid. I also saw her um, a couple of times in the late 70s, early uh, or early 80s. She she was doing a gospel show called Your Arm is Too Short to Box with God. She, she was on the road with. It was absolutely one of the most phenomenal wow. uh, evenings of music I had ever heard. In fact, she did it in New York with Al Green, Patti oh. LaBelle and Al Green wow. doing a gospel uh, concert that was absolutely just, you know, beyond belief. So, so I had seen Patti several times, never got a chance to see her with LaBelle. And that and that's something I was always, yeah. you know, never had that opportunity. But um, anyway, Prince had never Prince had never seen Patti live before, ever. Um, so I was just like, all right, well, yeah, you know, <laughs> right. Um, but and and it it, it, it was interesting because it, it was one of the rare occasions where you where where I was with Prince where he was really a little bit out of character, which was extremely rare, you know, because he was always Prince, mm -hmm. that entity, that thing that he invented because he invented himself. Right. Um, right. Yeah. But this is a time where he was really 
he was really, you know, interested not only because it was Patty, you know, just one of the greatest singers in, in, in the legacy of this music, but watching a performer that was so different from himself. Hmm. And a couple of times he, he would make comments that were, you know, out of character for him. There, there was one point where she would uh, engage with the audience. You know, she'd step out and kind of walk the stage and she'd like talk to the audience or whatever. Mm -hmm. And this was like, you know, this is like 85 or whatever. Um, and Prince leaned over to me and said, oh my God, she's fearless. Mm -hmm. How she engages with the audience directly like that. Mm -hmm. And she she was a pro and knew how to do that. Right. You know, she it, because if somebody wanted to like, you know, she might ask a question of somebody or whatever. Someone might stand up and I love that. And she might, you know, have a conversation. But if somebody started to get a little too deep or too fresh, she knew how to immediately cut them off Cancel it. in a way that didn't embarrass them, but just made it part of the show. Like some, I, I think there was one guy that stood up and he started to want to flirt with her. And at that point, she just said, honey, I'm scared of you. And just <laughs> and the, and the, and the whole crowd falls up and, and it, it, it becomes part of the show. And Prince leaned over to me and said, I would never in my life know how to do that. Right. Now, now years and years later, Prince did become more, right. you know, yeah. at times more engaging with the audience. But at that time, it was still. You know that wall was there. That that the thing, and 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 it was it was it was just interesting to hear him, you know, step out of that and and just kind of be a little bit more revealing of something about himself. And and, and you know, but it, but it was just curious. Some of some of the th comments that he just made about about the band that she had, um, that you know, all of a sudden I'm sitting and I'm talking with somebody who's a fan of the music, right? Rather right, than right. just somebody who's like you know who he he was. And right. and um, I could probably count on one hand the experiences I ever had with him, you, you know, where he would step out of character like that. So it, it was it was an interesting and, and enjoyable night because, first of all, I wasn't in my hotel room watching the damn ball come down Times Square. And I was <laughs> listening to Patti LaBelle, which, right. you know, you know, I, I would have maybe done even without Prince if I had. <laughs> Yeah, you would see pieces of that in the after shows and stuff. He would do a little bit more, you know, engaging with the audience. But the only time I, I think I've, I heard it the most was during the One Night Alone tour on those recordings, mm -hmm. One Night Alone live, where he's, you know, conversing with the audience, especially during the song Family Name when he was doing all this. What's your last name, Rebecca? Right. Right. Um, yeah. So it, that was that was really unusual to kind of hear him really do that. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. By then, in fact, uh, um, I I did a few gigs with him. Um, yeah, on the on that tour, um, it was some of the last gigs I ever do, and after I was subbing for Maceo mm. on on some of the gigs that Maceo couldn't do. Um, and I I hadn't, you know, it was it, it was around I guess that was around two thousand two or something. Um, I hadn't seen or talked to Prince in like six seven years. You know, there had been a gap where we just had gone our you know just gone our own ways. Right. Um, but he at sound checks, he, he was doing a thing then where, where members of his fan club would come into the sound check mm -hmm. um, yep. and, and he would do shtick with them like that. But the, but Prince learned how to do it and, and kind of like Patty Bell, but he learned how to do it um, in a manner that he could control everything. Right. And because he was inviting the people in 
there was kind of a stipulation that, okay, um, this is still Prince's house. Right. You know, right. and so it, it was still very, very much, very calculated. Yeah, you know, everything, I mean, <laughs> everything he did was calculated. Yeah. So Prince was not somebody that was ever going to even allow himself to be in a situation where he wasn't going to be in control. Yeah. And, but he, and, and he knew over the year, you know, he'd learned, you know, over the years when something started to look a little bit hinky, he knew how to get the hell out. Right. quick right. right he was a master at exit lines Move. yes <laughs> Stay you know, right. yeah just like cut it off and said that's what it's out the room out the door gone. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah the jimmy the jimmy fallon story when he's playing ping pong with him and and he won the game and he like slammed the ball and jimmy went to pick down bent down to pick up the ping pong ball and he comes back up and prince is gone <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that, master of exits yeah very typical like um so we had a bunch of questions that we had left over from that we have on our list, but I also want to make sure that I get these uh, these crowd questions in here uh, too, because especially okay. Jeremy J. Souls here, because he was asking this question uh, the entire time last, last time we time. were on. Yeah, yeah. So Jeremy, want to make sure that we get this question out for you. He says, what was it like playing with D'Angelo at Bonnaroo in 2015? Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, you know, that hookup, you know, uh, my brother, Alan, was D'Angelo's manager at that time, uh, among other things. And and so there there was, you know, I'd known D'Angelo off and on for the years, through the years. And um, that was, you know, it was really put together by Questlove. I mean, that, that he yeah. was the straw boss. He was the guy who put the whole thing together. He was the one who had to convince D'Angelo to come do it, because I think that was at a time where D'Angelo had not performed live like, wow. mm -hmm. in a while mm -hmm. yeah and it was like the questlove was kind of, you, you know just I, and i i have a feeling questlove wasn't convinced that d was going to show until he was there you know it was yeah, kind of like yeah, that right. um and d uh, and questlove uh, basically was who reached out to me to ask me if it was you know if i was interested in doing i said yeah it was you know pino paladino and other cats from the roots uh, um was jesse at that show yeah he was on yeah he was jesse on that, too. Was at that show too yeah yeah yeah. So, it, you know, it was just one one rehearsal um, on day of the show. Wow. That, that, yeah. It was, you know, I, I Quest had sent us all like a song list of, of things oh, he okay. wanted to do um, because I was the only I was the only horn. Um, I was kind of like just to fly in the wall. You know, all, 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 all I had to do was just sit there and, and just react. And and Quest or D would say, okay, here's you, you know, give me a cue for a horn solo, and what's okay? All I didn't, you, you know, I didn't know. I can't remember half of the songs of what we did, and I don't think a lot of the songs I was even really that familiar with. Other than know, okay, you know, this is in the key of E flat, and right. there's like a breakdown here or whatever, and here's something because basically, basically, you know, I I wasn't going to know what I was going to do until I was there. So mm, you know. right. Which was fine. So, you know, I didn't have to sweat it to show up and do the gig. So, it was, yeah, it was fun. Um, I mean, Bonnaroo, I don't know if any of y'all have been at Bonnaroo. It was the only time I was there. But, I mean, that's that, you know, the festival goes on for several days. Right. Um, we were not on the main stage. We were on, um, you know, there are like four or five stages outdoors that, that music's going on constantly and, and often at the same time. And in fact, the Roots, Questlove and in his band, the Roots were one, one of the headliners on the main stage earlier that night. Um, and they were playing between, you know, probably in front of like 50, 60,000 people. Um, our, gig with, uh, our, our gig with D started at, I think it started at midnight, somewhere around there. And we were in a, uh, a smaller venue, a tent, 
But even that God. must have been 10, 12,000 people crammed into oh, that. Yeah. That's crazy. So, yeah. yeah. With a lineup like that, it's just amazing to me that that wasn't on the main stage. I, but again, as you said, Quest wasn't even sure that D'Angelo was even going to show. Yeah. Really, yeah. 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 <laughs> so, so you're like, I want to be on the main stage, but I really need to see him like get out of the car. Yeah, exactly. The stage. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's make sure. But, but yeah, uh, I mean, it was fun. You know, you know, like, like I say, it was just like, uh, flew in the day before, did the rehearsal, did the gig. I was in a, we were all in a flight getting out, like, I think like two or three hours after we got off the stage, went right to the airport and I'm out back home. So there you go. No. Sylvia asked, uh, Eric, do you have any Prince records in that collection behind you? Um, I, I've got some, not many. I, I, I have maybe three or four. Yeah, it's yeah. It, it, the and of course they're probably the the more popular ones like Purple Rain and. No, I don't have Purple Rain. What? Oh, no. Okay. No, well, no, yeah. No. Is it the ones that you're featured on, or? Well, well, well. They, I the the only album or Princess that I ever bought was 1999, hmm. um, okay. and all the other albums are the ones that I was on, maybe because I got them for free. You know, and they, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> um, I I do have some of the uh, some of the CDs that that were released later. I think I have Diamonds and Pearls or some of the other things. You know, because um, I would just get them. And um, what, what compelled you to buy 1999? My what? my my brother, uh, Alan. A Alan. Um, Alan had gotten in, into prints. Um, I think around the time of of controversy. Alan, a, a, a friend of Alan's. Um, we were still living in Pittsburgh. Um, Alan was still living in Pittsburgh before he moved to New York again. Um, and a friend of Alan's had had convinced him to go to see Prince when Prince was playing in Pittsburgh. And I guess it's probably well, it's probably eight, 81 or 82, somewhere around there, I guess. Um, and Alan wasn't really into Prince yet. And he was blown away. I mean, he, he was just blown away by it. Just, just thought it was you know, mm. hippest thing that he'd seen in years. Um, and he got into, in, into Prince around controversy. So the, fir the first song of Prince's that I remember that I could put that name to was, was controversy. Um, and I, it, it didn't do anything for me at all. Just, hmm. just, just, just one ear out the other. Just, just, right. just didn't speak to me. Um, so anyway, um, my, my my brother and I probably our our musical DNA is probably about ninety nine point five percent the same, you know, as, as far as as the things that really really mean to me the same thing because because I grew up under Alan's tutelage more or less and and, and my exposure to the music was was mainly because of Alan through the years. Right. Um, there are certain artists that I absolutely love that he may not be into and vice versa, but really not that many. So. There was also, um, we're both kind of musical evangelicals because when we get into something, we're determined that the other has to also be into it to the same extent that we are. So when Alan got into Prince, all he was, his goal was that I had to be into Prince. You understand? Right. <laughs> you know? And if I wasn't into Prince, then I'm, you, you know, well, you're not hip, you're not into, you, you know, all of that. Um, and I was not getting into Prince, you know, judging. And and Alan was not pleased with that. Now, this is long before, you know, Alan were for Prince or anything. Alan just was, well, now, you know, you're, suppo you're supposed to be into this because I'm into it. 
you know, that, that's all. That's how this works. I'm into it. You're supposed to be in but you know, and I said, What's sorry, sorry, you? But, you know, so far this ain't working for me. Um, now, 1999 came out the song and that I liked, you know, that that was it was, um, you know, much, much more of a. Um, much more of a traditional R&B groove. You know, basically, right. once it get past the, you know, you know, the synthesizer, when it gets into the into the vamp out, then it's just guitar and says a funk groove. Said, okay, I can relate yeah. to that. That's cool. Yeah. Um, so my brother said by then he had the 1999 album. He said, you got to get the album. Got to get the album. You know, I said, all right, all right, I get the album. Just shut him up. I will get the album. <laughs> um, and I and I, I bought the album, and I've I I think I listened to it once or twice, and I that was that. Well, you now, know. You know but you know, th there's there's something that uh, you made me think of something. You had your brother. You guys had similar tastes, but when you're not in the same thing, he wasn't in the same thing. You know that kind of thing. When it happened, it was supposed to happen. And then you yep. also mentioned um, you weren't into Prince originally. And I remember seeing somewhere um, with Miles Davis. You mentioned him earlier as well. Mm -hmm. There was a time where you weren't really a fan of Miles Davis. And then it was a specific album that came out. It was uh, in a silent way. Well, and yeah, and and you know, I I had some Miles Davis albums. Mm -hmm. You know, I think I I, I I suppose I had kind of blue. Uh, I had some of the others. One of the reasons I wasn't into Miles wasn't because I had even listened to his music. Is because things that he would say about musicians that I was into, uh, and I was at a young enough age then that that impression of you know it's like how dare miles talk about eric dolphy like that right you know right. like that you, right. you know right. now years yeah. later i understood exactly what miles and what it was about you, you know so it was like okay um but yeah it was in in in, in literally i was you know so much what i was into is coltrane and what was known as the avant-garde pharaoh sanders archie chef coltrane even mm -hmm. a little bit albert Isler. i was a sun Ra freak I mean, I got about 50 Sun Ra albums. Don't ask me why, but I do. You know, that's the shit that was really into in in and Roland Kirk, Joe Henderson, are you know, and Cannonball and a lot of the hard bobcats too. But for whatever reason, I had never really, really, you know, dived into Miles. And literally one day I'm in a record store and I'm looking at 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 at, at the at the bin of Miles Davis records, which is like got a hundred albums in it. And I said, I need to get some Miles Davis. Right. So I looked through the bin and I'm thinking, well, let me let me try to figure out what what his latest album is. Mm -hmm. And it happened to have been in a silent way. And right. which that is that which is four <laughs> songs, pretty much. Right. Uh, yeah. Four songs. <laughs> now, was it was it the entire compilation or was there one particular song that pulled you in and made you say, OK, there really is something here? Because like well, said, it, it was was it was the whole album. And, and interestingly, I was looking at the personnel. And I and I knew who the cats were in in Miles's band at the time, but in a silent way had all these other cats on it: Chickaria and Joe Zavanul, the piano yes, player. Yes, yes. That's why I bought the album because I was a Joe Zavanul fanatic. Got it. I've been into Zavanul for all of the years that he was Cannonball Adderley's piano player, and he was one of my favorite jazz musicians. And I bought that. Mm -hmm. and said I think Joe Zavanul is playing on a Miles Davis album. I said, Oh my God, I got to get this. Um, it, it just, it was just so completely different that, and, and I had no really expectation as to what it was, what Miles was into then. Right. Um, 
I guess I expected that it was going to be pretty much, you know, acoustic hard bop or whatever that, you know, that was. I hadn't, I wasn't even into Sorcerer Nefertiti or that shit yet. So mm -hmm. I was a big gap. All of a sudden it's like, where the hell is this coming from? Yeah. yeah. There was, there was something in music that I was searching for because all the jazz was still in my, you know, it was either Latin jazz or swing rhythms, you know, old time jazz, bing, chick, 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 you know, swing rhythms. Mm -hmm. But now James Brown and R&B and, and funk had turned all that upside down. And the whole rhythmic pulse of progressive music was getting away from that into what we think of as like duple meter rhythms, funk, rock rhythms or whatever. Because, and, and, and I was desperately trying to hear music and see can progressive jazz cats take funk rhythms and do something with it that's not just a cliche or right. or or trying to dumb it down like some right. artist has said okay i'm gonna try to make a pop pop record you know ramsey lewis and shit like that said no that's not what i'm like yeah lee morgan did it with sidewinder but that was you know and here comes charles lloyd with his band with Keith Jarrett and Jack DeJet and those cats. And I said, okay, they're 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 starting to get there. Mm. But and Coltrane in 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 Coltrane is dead by then, but even in Coltrane's last year or so, he was getting into different kinds of rhythms and stuff and, and trying to and said somehow someone's got to take these rhythms and take cold sweat and make legitimate progressive <laughs> hardcore jazz with that feel. Mm. Uh -huh. And all of a sudden, here comes in a silent way, and I'm saying, yeah. oh, wow, here it is. I mean, it's getting there. Now, the next thing, six months later, here comes Bitches Brew. Right? Oh, yeah, that's right. right. <laughs> now, that's a game changer right there. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's it, because, because yeah. now I'd started to, like, start to fill in some of the gaps. But mm. literally, when in the silent way, I used to come home from high school and listen to that album in its entirety every day. Mm, wow. And I still can't figure it out what it was, wow. you, you know, but well, has six, you, had, you know, six, seven months later now I'm seeing, I'm, I'm reading downbeat magazine and the ads are coming for this album. Bitches brew. Now I got to understand that in that time to even be able to, to in print, say that word in that, that word, context, yeah, yeah. you know, right. it's, it's like that summer in summer 70 miles played on the Dick Cavett show, the old late night show, the Dick Cavett show went, went up against Carson. And, and Dick Cavett could not show the album cover on TV oh, because right. of the word, you know. So anyway, yeah. here's the bitches. And I'm looking at all the pre-publicity for the album. I said, okay, Zolino's on this again. All right, shit. I said, John McLaughlin, who I first heard with, with on The Silent Way. And I said, oh, my God. There are, what, two or three drummers on this album? I said, what the hell is this is going to be? So I'm like, I don't know what this is going to be, but I'm like so much into a silent way. And I'm thinking this is either going to be the greatest thing in the history of music or it's going to be the biggest dud. Right. You know, right. And literally, there was, you know, in Pittsburgh at the time, there was National Record Mart. That was the big record store. And I happened to know a guy who worked at the main store downtown. And there were suburban stores. There was one right up the street from me, but they wouldn't get the records until like a week after they'd hit the main store. And I actually knew when Columbia Records would would deliver their product. And I called his friend down. I said, um, what what day did 
Columbia comes in when? He said, it comes in Thursdays. I said, okay. I said, um, and I called him. I came home from high school. I said, you get the Columbia shipment? And he said, yeah, I'm unboxing it now. And he said, uh, and I said, is the new Miles Davis in it? And he said, it should be. He said, it's on the list. I haven't unboxed it yet. I said, I'll see you in 10 minutes. <laughs> I literally went downtown, grabbed, went, got in the car, went downtown. And I don't know if the, you know, it makes a good story, but whatever it was, there were three of them in the bin that he put in the bin. And mm. literally the first one out was mine. Mm. And, oh, wow. Yeah. And I went home and listened to that album. And there was no album of music in my life, which was more significant for me in kind of defining for me in my own, you know, in, in best case scenario, anything that I would want to do in music, it better feel like this. Doesn't right. have to sound like this or right. be this, but it better it it better represent something for me that this does. Right. Because everything yeah. in music that I ever could possibly wanting to hear or feel was in that album. Mm. You know, now there are other albums that that mean that much to me, but that was the first one. It was like the rainbow come, ta -da, the rainbow, the trumpet sound. And it was like, okay, this is what I do with my life. Yeah. And what about any, what about yeah. any LP album? Matter of fact, we were, <laughs> let's, let's bring LP. Mr. Paul Peterson in here. Paul. Your soliloquy was putting me right to sleep. It was wonderful. Thank well, you. That, that's, that's, that's nothing new. You're used to that. <laughs> oh. <laughs> This is like, it's, it's just like I, a lullaby. I, I, well, see, the, the thing about it is, is like I am like consciously writing down, writing down all these, you know, some of these artists and things and, and specific albums in general that you're mentioning, Eric. I'm just like, I don't think I've ever heard that album. Some of the artists that you've mentioned too, I've kind of, well, I've they're all dead. Big. It doesn't <laughs> matter. You gotta remember. All the all best I hear is a dead. All the best stuff yeah. is. All the dead guys. All the, <laughs> So my, you know, my brother constantly tells me, he said he didn't even bother talking to, about anything in music or art that's not at least 25, 30 years old now. Because he knows I ain't, you know, I don't hear it. Well, P-Funk P asked, he said, do you have any Blue Note album suggestions? But I was just like, no, we're not going to go there. You got you got three hours. I mean, yeah. you know. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I mean the oh. Art Blake, you know, Art Blakey is like you know 50, 30, 40 albums just alone. Go buy the Art Blakey albums. That's that's a good place to start, you know. Anyway. Oh, we lost CDs. Okay. Oh, well, Paul, it's so good to have you. Did you have a show tonight or you have a show coming on later tonight? I'm actually in the studio. Oh, okay. Producing a friend of mine who's uh patiently waiting for me over there, so I can't stay long. But I had to come on and say hi to you guys. I mean, I oh absolutely good to see yeah, you. Man. Excellent. Not not you so much, Eric, but uh, yeah. <laughs> well, so we wanted to um yeah, we wanted to talk about this. Yes. We wanted to talk about this particular album here. And uh I I had actually gone to a show and I purchased one of these and uh the lady who was running or the person that was running the table gave me this cellophane wrap. And I was like, Oh wow, this is like multiple multiple CDs. This is amazing. And uh, I get I get back to the hotel and I open it up and there's like five CDs of the same CD in it. And I, I remember calling you and I said, should I do a giveaway or can I send these back to you? And you're like, no, do a giveaway. <laughs> so, right. 
<laughs> so luckily, luckily, it. I got to ask you because Rob and I were re-listening to this. Uh, this is for those who don't know. This is this is no words, which is an amazing, amazing, amazing CD. Well, thank you. Uh, but we also and we do want to ask you about some of the names of the songs on here, like 15 minutes of shame and where some of this stuff came up and came from, but you guys have one. First off, can anybody even get this anymore? Because it was an originally like, a. Oh, yeah, yeah, we, we, we did it through a crowdfund. Oh, still, there we yeah. go. There we yeah, go. You did it through a crowdfunding. Yeah. We okay. Go. We, we are hereby announcing that um, relatively soon, possibly within the next several weeks, Yep. It will be available to the public. Oh, um, yeah. yes. 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 All, all of the news and information about where to get to it, we tell everybody, go to our website, which is leadspetersonmusic.com. Okay, fantastic. Leadspetersonmusic.com. All of the information, because we're, we're, we're to be honest, we're still figuring out the different ways and how we're going to release it. We got several options that we're, we're going to be pursuing. Um, and all of the information about how to get it, either as um, a download or as a physical medium and uh, autographed or non-autographed. If you'd like to pay more for us to autograph it, we'll do that. If you'd like to pay more for us not to autograph it, we'll do that too. <laughs> we'll take your money any way we can figure out. Um, yeah. And we might actually, you know, um, but go to, go to our website, leadspetersonmusic.com. And we are going to within the next week or so, we'll 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 have specific information up up there as to how you can procure this um, particular item. Awesome! Oh man, it's yeah. Because this, let me tell you, this this CD is fantastic. So I'm so glad that it's going to be released. Now, I do have a question about you know the history of you two and this you know and the LP project, which I you know was blessed enough to see in Minneapolis, uh, and. Did, were either one of you aware of the other uh, before the family project? Um, no. Because Eric, you were kind of brought, so you weren't aware. Uh, okay, that's <laughs> no, no. <laughs> that, that's I, I, did, I didn't even meet Paul. I didn't even meet Paul until after I'd done the first recording sessions for the family album. You know, yeah, there, you I know, think I was on it yet. No, you weren't because because when I was recording um, the first four or five tracks, I was I was listening to Prince's vocals on, right. on them. Yeah, yeah, yeah no. I do I, I do remember, and I think we actually have some of his uh, some of his guide vocals and everything. So I, I I guess was it ever considered that he may be a part of that project of singing, or did he always did he like zone in that he absolutely was going to have a vocalist come in and he just hadn't decided who it was going to oh, be? Oh, no, no, no. Th th those, those, those were guides. Paul, Paul had already been hired for the band. Gotcha. Uh, but yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, Jeff, you had a question in here. Yeah. Um, it's uh it's kind of a history question. Um, you had, it's for St. St. Paul, of course you had, uh, done your thing and then you, you guys had decided The group broke up, and then it came back together. Right. But it mm -hmm. came back together with a totally different name. F Deluxe. F Deluxe. Right. Yeah. And so I was curious as to, was there a specific reason that you didn't keep the same name? Because it had a following, and people were really familiar with the family. So what was the reason for changing the name? Paul? Uh, I got beckoned. We were all out to dinner. Susanna Jellybean, Alan Lees, Eric Lees, myself. 
Am I missing anybody? But we, all of a sudden, we're at. Suze was uh, there. Suze was there. Yeah. We were at uh, a, a restaurant. And I get a phone call that says, Prince wants you to come out to Paisley. I'm like, what? How does he know we're together, first of all? So I <laughs> come into Paisley. I go out there. And uh, he basically says, I hear you're recording a new record. I'm like, yeah, man, I, I got it with me. He says, I don't want to hear it. But you can't call it the family. You're missing the primary songwriter and, and poet and producer. You can't have that name without me. I said, oh, well, why don't you come along for the ride? He said, not this time. But he basically was saying that he owned that, mm. and had to. Yeah, he he owned the name. He did yeah. own the name. Actually, yeah. he doesn't own the name. The no, he didn't. Person, yeah, but the oh, Osmonds yeah. owned the name, the family. Oh, I believe is from my research. I could be wrong, but that's what I found out. Well, couldn't Who you have worked pulled... with? By the way, yeah, couldn't you have pulled yeah. some strings? You used to be the bassist for the house band <laughs> exactly. for Donnie and Murray them. TV show. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, right. you could have pulled some strings and go, look, uh, I'm gonna, both, I'm both Donnie and sue me. No, <laughs> <laughs> and they called it. I'm gonna sue you. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. so, so I ended up coming back and telling everybody what happened. We had a good chuckle out of it. Actually, Prince and I were basically on the mend at that point. We were, we had a good laugh, but he's basically saying you can't really do that without me. And I said, as I was leaving the studio at Paisley, we were walking out by where he's got the mural. And I had not been out there in years and I hadn't seen the mural. And he had his light up tennis shoes on. And of course I gave him shit about that. I'm like, Prince, your shoes are on fire. <laughs> he said, well, he said, have you seen this? He pointed to the wall and I said, wow, no, that's really cool. He led me out the door. I'm so I'm Paul. I'm surprised you didn't say is Tenny Bumps. With the family he said, Tenny Bumps. <laughs> you should listen to what you're saying. You've never heard. I don't know why I called it that. I don't even know where I got that terminology, but he didn't like that. Anyways, <laughs> I digress. We're walking out the door. I said, dude, what would it look like if we would do a, another family record? He said, well, probably re-release it. Add a few new songs. I said, well, let me release this, and then we'll talk about it. He's like, that sounds great. So that's why we didn't call it The Family. And forgive yeah. me, I got a little, I'm trying to get a cold, and did, it's not did, COVID. I, did <clears throat> Suze come up, did, was it you or Suze that came up with the name after Lux? I'm going to give her credit for that one. Yeah, I thought I, thought I remember it was Suze. Yeah. 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 yeah, well, I think that's the same. That's the same thing that happened with the time as well. But he refused to let them use the name because he was not part of the songwriting process, and they had to become the original seven. So, yeah, this yeah. was like, a, yeah, yeah, he was really, really protective about his, I guess, you know, creations. properties, yeah, creations, yeah, whatever, IP, uh, yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, but you know, again, to Paul's, to Paul's note, he didn't even own the family. <laughs> that right. was an Osmond. Right. Nobody could have sued me anyway. And my wife's like, "Honey, I like my house." Right. Yeah. alone. Yeah. I mean, even if he didn't it. win, he could have made that journey. Yeah, right. Oh, grew yeah. brutal. Right. Can you imagine? <laughs> right. Yes. And 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 to, to 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 the extent that you know a new name, I my my own opinion then was that anybody who 
was familiar with the family and knew that, okay, Paul Peterson, Susanna Melvoin, Jelly Bean Johnson, Eric Lees have put a new record. They knew who we were. Yeah. So we could have right. called ourselves the 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 the, you know, the, the Dookie Heads and and it wouldn't matter. Which is a better name. And 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 for people outside, if if we were which we unfortunately were never really able to do, but if we had been able to get that music to a broader audience, the Prince connection wasn't relevant. Right. You, you right. know, for somebody else, you, you know, maybe maybe somebody was 30 years old and say, hey, I really like this album. And, well, they used to be the family who, you know, Ooh, like what right. the hell? I don't care about that. I like this and this after luck. So that's cool. So you, you just know. because I got to be good to my person is waiting for me in the studio. I just wanted to say thanks for letting me pop on onto Eric's portion of the thing here. And absolutely. Yeah, and as soon as, as, soon as you're off, I'll, I'll give him the real lowdown on LP. <laughs> <laughs> tell him who's really yeah you'll, you'll tell him who's boss yeah all right okay. you paul yeah. i'll reach out to you we'll get, we'll get you back on when you're not in the studio because i know you got tons of stories to tell and uh yeah at, paul yeah. thank you thank, thank you so much for, for stopping in out. and well, again maybe we everybody, do this right when we're releasing it yeah. yeah absolutely let's do that yeah you, that, you, got, you got my phone number just just send me a text and say we're about to do it and we'll let's do it probably right around thanksgiving or right after so that's what we're trying to shoot for. Yeah, we'll get you on. Yeah, we need you. We need your Christmas money. Yeah, we're trying to release it. Do it on Black Friday. There you go. There you go. Bad idea. See you guys later. Bye, bye, Paulie. Bye, bye, Paulie. Bye, then, Mr. Eric. All right, Paulie. You see, now I got. I got to say something about Paul. It's it. It's like. When I knew Paul in, in, in the family, he was like, you know, 20 year old kid. Mm -hmm. And all I knew is he was the kid who was going to be the lead singer in this band that I was going to be in for a minute. And when Paul left, left the project and, and went away and whatever, then I shifted over to Prince. There was about, you know, 10, 10 years or so where I, I never saw Paul because there wasn't any real reason. He was off doing his thing. I was still, you know, um, and then we. In the late 90s, occasionally we would, Paul and I might, you know, do a gig together or we would just do some of the old family stuff or whatever, like at Bunkers or one of the clubs around here. Um, and then when we started, when we got together to do After Lux again, and then um, about six, seven years ago, maybe, um, Paul and I were, were at a concert and a very good friend of ours who's a extraordinarily well-known, successful jazz musician whose name I'm not going to mention because of this. He was doing something that was a little off kilter for him. And it was cool. It was really cool. But it was something that was kind of simple in nature. I'm just going to say it was, you know. And Paul and I were, were digging and we were grooving because it was really cool. But Paul looked at me and he says, well, shit, we could do that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so that's how that's how that's how LP started. Now, here's here's the thing. I had no real idea outside of like the pop music or the funk or armed, you know, or pop music they were doing after Lux that Paul's a tremendous songwriter and producer. But and I know he's he's just a tremendous musician. But I had no real understanding or or um knowledge of what he really would be able to bring to something like what we do in LP music. Right. The guy doesn't have a clue. 
what I mean by that, he doesn't have the references. Oh. Because right. okay. he didn't grow up. Now he's 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 probably about he's about 10, 12 years younger than me. So you know, he grew up now he grew up in a musical family where where you know the Peterson family is like the first family of of you know music in, in the Twin Cities. His right. older brother, uh Ricky, who um is is you know a first call keyboard player. Was David Sanborn's musical director for years. Does a lot of pop rock, but you know Ricky is just a beast of of, of a jazz yeah. player among everything else. Mm -hmm. um, and and Ricky had played on my record, so uh, you, you know, so I was more familiar with Ricky as as the kind of player he was, and I even was with Paul. And we were doing some jams and and just getting musicians together and just jamming and recording things and just seeing what we got. Um, and Paul would pick up the guitar, you know, among other things, and he started to play some shit. And I look and I said, damn, you sound like John Abercrombie. And he's a who? who? Yeah, I mean, I know, you know, maybe a lot of your audience, know, but Jan John Abercrombie was uh, sadly passed away several years ago. But John Abercrombie is one of the most significant um, guitar players in progressive music and jazz, both acoustic jazz, electric jazz, everything is a fabulous and, and just these sensibilities that Paul has. And when we started work on and, and do gigs and then started to, to work on, on this recording, I realized, oh my God, I've, I've, I've got like a, a, a mine, a gold mine hmm. of musicianship here. That is just where the hell does this come from? Because I know where all my shit comes from. Paul did, you know, other than other than Paul having grown up as the youngest of five siblings, all of whom are musicians. You know, right. all of and 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 remarkable music. His sisters Patty and Linda, his oldest brother Billy, who's a bassist and 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 you know piano player, Ricky and and but as far as the intrinsic musical creativity, Paul's the cat. You know, hmm. and I would come in with with ideas about a certain song and Paul would take it and run with it. And he would come back with these. This this uh, he, uh, harmonic sophistication that is like, where did you come up with this? And he said, well, I grew up in that family. I had, a, you know, it was sink or swim. Plus, hmm. Paul knows Tin Pan Alley. He knows standards. Hmm. I mean, Paul can Paul can pick up an upright bass, acoustic bass and go play a gig and just play standards all night long, you know. So he's got yeah. that, but and and but it's 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 hilarious for me because I know where all the references are, all this, and Paul doesn't have that background, but what he does have is the music, right? And, that's all you and, need, and that's all you know. And and the, you know, there, there's a thing about music, musicians that you you can share a certain um, appreciation, a certain like-minded you know, likes and dislikes of certain friends of, of mine that are musicians doesn't necessarily mean that that translates to when you're actually playing music. Right. You know, I've had friends, you know, buddies of mine that think, you know, that might think and say the same thing musically or feel, but when you get in a room, sometimes it just doesn't work. It's mm -hmm. not right or wrong. You know, it just, whatever, it just doesn't. Um, particularly when it comes to things like harmony, which is something that that is is probably the most interesting part of music for me, and a particular harmonic thing that I, you know, that I kind of gravitate to.
Well, it just so happens that luck of the draw is that is that a lot of Paul's harmonic sensibility just fits perfectly with how I'm hearing things. But the greatest thing about it is, and, and this, is a, this is a lesson for all musicians. I've done a lot of recording on my own, you know, where basically I'm, I'm the only one making the final decisions about anything. When you have somebody that can take an idea that you have, that I might have as, 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 for a piece of, song, piece of music, and Paul can run with it and come back the next day. And I can sit there and I say, gee, you know something, Paul? That's exactly what I would have done, except I didn't. You did. Mm -hmm. And you just showed me something about an idea I had that I wouldn't have even thought of. Okay. So it's an ability to hear an idea that I might have realized outside of what I would. Because left to my own devices, I only can do what I can do. But now I've got something more right. and vice versa. Paul comes up with an idea about something and I'll say, well, why don't we do this, that, or the other? And then it becomes something that's greater than the sum of its parts. Right. And when you find somebody like that, that you can have that immediate dialogue and chemistry, whatever you want to call it, uh, that's worth its weight in gold. The other yeah. thing about Paul is he is an absolute superb producer as far as his ability and he knows pro tools inside out and backwards so working with him in the studio is like bap 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 and mm -hmm. i can come up with an idea about something and immediately he says oh this is how we do that but bup, bup, and i'm saying oh shit you know <laughs> there it is you know and that's so it works and and you've got this palette of all of these colors and all of these things that paul can bring to it Mm -hmm. And I, I got to tell you that working with him on this LP project is probably one of the most wonderful, you know, musical experiences I've ever had. And it but, comes from somebody that literally I can't talk to him about the references because he doesn't know, <laughs> you know. So it's it's funny to me at the same time. I said, damn, this is like, you know, it, he, he Paul's Paul is like and, and I would have had no idea about that just from working with him with that flux, not that that, you know, he brings everything is, but this is something else entirely, you know. So well, it, and I was looking at this, I was looking at this album here. I was, you know, and again, we're 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 talking about uh this particular album of no words. Um, and it shows as the executive producer is your brother. It says well, okay, Alan yeah, yeah well, well, that's that's what's listed. Yeah, that, well, that's names as well. But uh, right, okay, that's a part of the crowdfund. Gotcha. Because, oh, because yeah, right. you know that when um, we did we did it through um, we did it through a, a crowdfund that doesn't exist anymore. Fortunately, it was called Pledge Music. And when you put up there, there is you know all these things work. They're all the different tiers. Yeah, and gotcha. basically, um, you give us twenty bucks, you'll get the CD. You give us 25 bucks, you'll get an autograph right. CD on and on and on. For $500, you're an executive producer. <laughs> uh, gotcha. you know? Now, I got to tell you, we put up we put up one that we just figured, well, we'll put it up and not expect that anybody. For $5,000, Paul and I will come to your home and we'll play for you. Oh, wow. There was Is a cat in I mean, it was a cat in San Diego that did oh, it. Oh, wow. Yeah. 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 Wow. And, and, and how'd that show go? 
it was cool. He 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 invited some friends of his to his house. Um, he had a little PA system. Would it be and, awkward if you walked in? It was, <laughs> it was just him on a couch. Going, go ahead, hey guys. Let's go. We we had already been paid. Oh, you know, <laughs> already been paid. You know, this is whatever, whatever it is. It's it's your house, right. your show, whatever. You know, it's a lot. Just, just just all we ask. Keep your clothes on. Right. That's yeah. That's It'd be really awkward. Just walk in and he's sitting in there in his underwear eating hot pockets, and you're like, right, yeah, no. Okay, here we go. Like, Paul and I would said, hit it one, two, one, two, three. Hey, you know, that's a da, 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 da. Oh, baby. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you, know. you may not know the answer to this. Somebody's asking this question. I want to know if the estate is going to reissue or re-release the Madhouse. Or I don't imagine you're probably privy to any of that information, but maybe um, you are. No, wouldn't 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 would have no idea. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's. I mean, uh, they'll they'll. Um, you, you know, I mean, my my own my own feelings about Madhouse, notwithstanding, from um, it would be good for my wallet, I suppose, because um, I have a piece right. of that. You know, right. now I don't know if I don't know if the estate knows that I have a piece of it. That that's you know that's something I don't know. And if they do, they 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 would find out real quick. Yeah, I'm actually kind of. Now. I mean, you have you have a, <laughs> right. you have a, a, a little Enough piece of that. Here. But I yeah. was kind of interested because I heard that you know the revolution all had to share one point of purple rain. Um, which, I, I don't know. Uh, yeah. Which 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 is shocking to me. But they, but you know the fact that you have a, a, you know a piece of madhouse is is actually says says a lot I guess mm -hmm. for you know the respect that, that Prince has. Not that he didn't have respect for that band, but well let, let me let me in on. in in real world terms one percent or or even you know one fifth of one percent for Purple Rain is probably going to be about. 20 times anything that I was going to make from that. There's an old frame that an old saying that we used to remember James Brown saying a hundred percent of nothing is still nothing. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, uh, Ross said he used to sit into some of the live streams when F deluxe was coming together and they were a ton of fun. Uh, Susanna, Eric, Jellybean, Eric have such a great rapport and vibe. You know, this was something that, that, Prince did actively. We didn't really do much of, but he did it with uh, Third Eye Girl, especially. He would always put up these these live snippets and stuff. And it was some it was just you know crafting songs as they were mm -hmm. coming together, and you would see them get released and captured and whatnot, and in, in the form of menstrual cycle or the toe jam or whatever it was called. Yeah, uh, it, there's got to be a good a segment of outtakes that probably existed for the this whole Aftelex when you were putting it together. Is there any um, what, didn't one of you guys have a question about like a new album being released uh, soon? Or I, I think it was uh, uh, actually we were talking about this. I, I don't remember. There might have been something. Single oh, okay. had a single. I think it was a single. Oh, well, yeah, I know he had um, something in the water that he had that song, but I know that was attached to an album. Yeah, think, we forgot to ask him when he was he's, uh, doing. He's got a single oh, coming okay. out in uh, twenty-two. <laughs> he's got something coming out next oh, year. Yeah. Oh yeah, I think I think he does. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure what it is, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, it would be kind of it'd be really cool to hear some of the outtakes and some of the some of the other extra stuff from F Deluxe and actually uh, I don't know if I don't really remember if we I don't really think we had any. Hmm. Well, yeah, any, I, any I think basically everything we did went on went on the album. Um we you, you know we we we've done some other F Deluxe albums. We did an album called AM AM Static, hmm. which was an album of covers. 
um, that we did. And and um, and then we did we did a live album also uh, with F Deluxe. And I, I and, and those are all available. Probably there's an F, you know, Paul and I, we, you know, I've got a website. Paul's got a website. We have leadspetersonmusic.com for LP. And then there's the F Deluxe website. So you go to F Deluxe website and all the CDs that we've done for that are, you know, up on that, I'm sure. Um, yeah. And whatever happened with uh, The Truth, if I'm because a lot of people don't remember The Truth, but it was and I know that was uh, originally that was a project uh, that was put together for for it was it was a char charitable reason that that was put together for well it, it was it was actually put together by um the guy who was the manager his name is jeff Tauby, who was the manager for stokely williams in, in mint condition mm -hmm. and it was basically his idea and and it, it was a bar band that it was just like getting a bunch of us together to to play bunkers and wherever around minneapolis that you know it was fantastic the recording it was is unbelievable Such yeah the cd out. came out yeah cd came out good it was you know it was uh kirk johnson was usually the drummer he was kind of the straw boss of, of the band uh stokely played drums on a couple of gigs i think and jellybean was paul myself uh jerry hubbard um keyboard player donnie lamarca from minneapolis who's a friend of all of ours or whatever and and from time to time other people might sit in and play the gig it was just kind of like a cast of characters and you know some some nights it would be a different bunch from the other night you know um but it, but it, it was it was one of those one of those things that after a while it was hard to keep it together because everybody's just always doing other things you know and the money you know the money was was whatever we were getting at the door and some nights it was like hey, can we make 20 bucks each you know the other <laughs> night we might, you know so is it, yeah I mean, it's reminding you of the old days for sure oh yeah yeah uh, yeah. yeah patty said i gave my no words away why'd you do that patty but uh are you re-releasing it uh yes they said they are re-releasing it it's going to yeah. be released uh, around yeah. uh, thanksgiving now I, I i i will give you the the uh one little story about the the title no words um that came from, it was because of something that Paul's wife, her name is Julie, who I've known for a long time. Um, I went to, we had, we had an L, we had an LP gig one night and uh, several years and, and I had, I think I had just written the song, No Words, which, and, but I didn't have a title for it yet. It was just untitled, a new song that we were going to do in the gig or whatever. And I went by Paul's house to pick him up because we would go down to the gig together. And Julie was sitting on the couch watching TV or whatever. And I laughed and I said, so Jules, you know, you're not, you're not coming out to hear us tonight. You're not going to sit in the front row and, you know, spur on your hubby to great musical, you know, endeavor, whatever. <laughs> and she looked at me and said, nah. And I just laughed and I said, yeah, I, I guess, you know, I guess what this, what, what we're doing here isn't really. And she looked at me and I said, you're not really in this kind of music, are you? She said, it's got no words. <laughs> So, you know, as soon as we, you know, I'll ask as soon as we got to the gig, I said to Paul, I said, um, that's the name of the song. So, yeah. <laughs> so, so where did the title, where did the song title 15 minutes of shame come from? Um, that was Paul's title. Hmm. The, the, the song started with, with the initial idea. I think of the song was mine, but Paul put the title on it was basically, um, well, it's just kind of comment on, on where we're at. You know, 
as opposed to 15 minutes of fame it's a little play on that i got yeah but that song is amazing because we were we were listening uh we were listening earlier today and the the changes that are in that song are fantastic it's like you start breaking down that everything just shifts into a completely different time pattern and it's like well well that's what i'm saying how the shit comes together because the song just started with 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 the bass line which was mine and that was basically i came in was one of the first things that we we're going to work on and I said okay i got a bass line here i don't know where we're going with it so it's like we laid it down and Paul said, okay. And and I said, I don't really have anything yet to go with that. So we'll just, so I come in the next day and Paul's got all this other shit uh, <laughs> on it. So we, we get to the bridge and, and um, I actually, at this point, cannot tell you what was his and what was mine. Wow. And and that that's that's the, that's, that's the way, that's what we like about it. And I said, was wow. that you? Was that yours? And I said, I don't know. But it was just don't throw thing and and basically just throwing shit up against the wall and see what sticks, mm. you know. But but the thing is, it's it's Paul and I are are both way past the point of wanting to argue about stuff because you know we, we you know we're not going to uh, initially agree on everything, and basically it's like okay we'll have that argument later. Let's get on with the rest of the song. We can come back to that argument, you know. Right. And by the time we're done with it, it said whatever what we were what we were disagreeing with. I don't even remember. Cool. Let's let's just you know. Now and and if it's something that if it's something that neither one of that both of us aren't completely into, then it's out of here. You know, it right. doesn't matter who came up because I can say, well, yeah, you know, I, I I can always do something with that on my own later. Ha ha ha. Vice versa. Right. So it's like let's get on to the next. So um, that that's what makes it just just keep rolling that right. don't work it's out of here we you, you know we got we got more than enough stuff to bring in um we we actually have, we do we do for lp have probably about another four or five songs that that were recorded at those sessions that we have not finished oh. um that you know we figured that said okay that's for the next album i've got a stack of stuff that's halfway finished that at any time we could go in and, and, and do something with it you know we'll we'll see we'll see how this album goes <laughs> Yeah, right. Uh, we're we're going to bounce around a little bit because I, I we we kind of and Rob has a question, but this one kind of segues into this. Uh, Stacy wanted to know: Was working on the Black album an interesting experience? And my daughter is compelled, so she's coming in here to watch. Mm, no, no, no more or less than anything else. You know, with, with, with you know, and, and at face value. Being in the studio at Prince in any given situation can be "quote unquote" an interesting experience. It's true. You know? <laughs> I'd imagine that's correct. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, now that doesn't necessarily have anything to do with my own personal opinion about whether right. it should be interesting or what might be interesting or not about it. Yeah, know? there was right. so most so much mythos and 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 just weird everything around that album between that album and love sexy so much you know so many weird oops sorry so many weird uh yeah and there were all, all kinds of strange stories that have yeah. come out of paisley park right around that time period you had a question about uh black yeah album. yeah i, I um uh, from what i understand you contributed to at least one track in the black album um where did did you have more contributions on there and the others that we don't know about well, you... well 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 the song the song that that i'm supposed to have um co-writers on was, was rock hard in a funky place right mm -hmm. right um and um it's it's 
it's the one point of contention with me and the whole Prince experience because um, mm. when that album, when when he decided not to release the album, it was like I saw a good paycheck going away from that right. one. Now, yes. when it was released um, as a CD many, many years later, uh, for a lot of different reasons, unfortunately, the um, all of the paperwork uh, that well, was supposed to support that was not, you know, uh, there. Uh, um, it is. It. Uh, I can basically say that that from a business standpoint, my experience with Prince was generally positive, as far as as hmm. you know the professionalism and and everything. Right. With, with a couple of exceptions, and this was unfortunately the exception. Um, I have had more than enough uh, certainly opportunity that I could you know litigate the matter. The unfortunate thing from my standpoint is I don't really have any ability to understand or, or have knowledge of exactly what I should be owed for that. Right. And right. it could be that I would spend more in lawyer's fees trying to figure out what truthfully it should be mm -hmm. and could end up losing money in the, in, in the process. Yeah. I tend to look at it this way, try to be philosophic about it. There were occasions over the years when Prince would do me a solid, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. um, unsolicited sometimes, um, sometimes in lieu of something else that was to my benefit. Mm -hmm. What are some examples? Um, just bonuses for some, you know, and, and oh, I'm not okay. the only person that, that okay. he would exactly. necessarily do this with. There were a couple of times where he would, um, yeah, just basically like that. A couple other occasions where what he was paying me, I, I could I could legitimately say bordered on, on the generous side, you know, okay. in, in, in a given situation. Right. Um, so in, in, in the long stream of things, you, you know, I, I kind of just decided this is something I'm going to have to let go. But there's still a possibility that song might be re-released re as, you know, as a compilation. Mm -hmm. And at which point I may at that point have to actually do something about it. You know? Yeah. Um, and, and I know that you, you actually have a question that I'm, it's, it's probably going to, that may segue into this a little bit because I, you came on board after Prince had kind of, dissolved the res the revolution are you close at all with wendy and lisa oh yeah so are yep. you um so i guess do you guys ever and and, and, Su and susanna obviously i mean Su susan is one right. of my dearest closest friends right, right. now yeah right. but, but wendy, you guys yeah. ever sit yeah. down and like shop talk about some of those instances like in behind closed doors i mean they just kind of some of those experiences because i know they experienced the same type of thing that you did with black album with Dream Factory because they were their their contributions were plentiful. Oh yeah, on that yeah. entire album, and then once that kind of got yeah you know, separated um, out with the separate not, projects. Not not really. I mean, you, you know, I don't get a chance to really spend a lot of time with Wendy and Lisa. You, yeah. You know, um, but you know, I I I, I suspect that their situation was was different. You know, in some respects from mine. It it's. There, there's no predicting what basically, you, you know, the situations with, with Prince could be. Um, right. mm -hmm. I had, I had a distinct advantage for several reasons as, as far as, and, and 
I think this is going to answer your question. I think it is. The, <laughs> well, well, the the revolution, and 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 it, it's difficult because I don't want to I don't want to sound condescending or patronizing in any manner. No, oh, no. But the revolution was there for an entirely different reason than I was, hmm. and from the perspective, um, for for whatever you know. I, for what you know, the specific reason as to why Prince wanted a saxophone player in this group, the family, and the fact that he was interested in it being somebody that wasn't a known entity, hmm. because you know another producer could have said, "Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna produce this group. I'm gonna make an album under the name The Family. Um, I've got the lead singers." I'd like a saxophone player on this, but you know, I can worry about hiring a saxophone player for the band later. I just want a credible saxophone player on the album. And I've never used a saxophone player. He might've told my brother, call David Sanborn. Mm, right, right, mm -hmm. yeah, right. You mentioned or that. call Maceo Parker or call right. Michael Brecker. I just need somebody to come and do a session. That's all. For whatever reason, Prince was not in that state of mind. And when he just said, I want a saxophone player in this, and Alan said, well, um, have you decided who? He said, no, I don't have a clue. So Alan turned him on to me, and that how, you know, I came in. Right. Um, I had no illusions or expectations or feeling that, oh, my God, I'm going to work with Prince. I've died and gone to heaven. I came to do a gig and get a paycheck. Yeah, right. right. And yep. whatever was going to come after that was going to come after that. Because when I came up to do the original session for the family, I already had the understanding that this album would probably not even be released until a year later. Because this was right as Purple Rain was coming out. So he had bigger fish to fry. Right. You know, yeah. he was all of a sudden going to be the biggest thing out there. Right. And I'm thinking, you know, with, with a cat like this, a year from now, he might just say, oh, to hell with his family. That was last year. I ain't got time for that no more. You know, because mm -hmm. that, that I'd already, you know, my brother already clued me a lot about what Prince's character and, and was. So I had no expectations that necessarily anything was ever going to come of this. Mm -hmm. I came into Minneapolis to get a paycheck and do a right. session. And and I went home, went back to Atlanta. Yeah. And, and I didn't see Prince for another two or three months until, you know, so my, my involvement with him was incremental. And at that time, there was no thought in my mind that I would ever end up being in his band. It wasn't something I ever thought about or anything that I aspired to. It wasn't a thought that, oh, boy, would I love to be in his band. It didn't even cross my mind. You know, I'm here to do this and whatever happens, happens. So, right. so you know, it's you know, I'm go, go ahead. Yeah, You know, it seems like uh, where you're concerned, uh, like you said, you. And this seems to be pretty common with with a lot of musicians that work with him is that you kind of come to this philosophical uh, feeling about the time that you worked with him and uh, that relationship. But, um, you know, some of the things you've said before, it still feels like you had a little bit of a different relationship. Do you think that's because of your perspective as coming in and saying, you know? Yeah, yeah, because, yeah. because Prince, Prince is Prince is not stupid, you know. 
And he, uh, I, he, I mean, he said in his very words, he did say, and, and I agree with him, his, you know, in the, in the, in, he said to a, another musician in his band once in this particular situation, and I won't talk about the, who that was or what the situation was, but Prince basically said to this, and, and it goes for all of us, I don't pay you to like my music, I pay you to play it. Right. 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 So, <laughs> now, here, here's, here's the thing. The revolution and all those cats, their entire musical experience was Prince. That's mm -hmm. all. That's mm -hmm. all they knew. Right. Particularly somebody like Wendy. She's 19 years old, and her first professional gig is the freaking Purple Rain tour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. So, you know, and everything was homegrown, and there was this sense that Wendy Wendy once said something in, in an interview, which I know where she was coming from, and and I think she's right. She said, "Well, the Revolution was the only of Prince's band where he was a member of the band." Mm. And I said, "Well, okay, I I mm. get I get what she's talking about that, mm -hmm. right? But that's not really what it was either, because no. he was still the captain of the yeah, ship. Yeah, because <laughs> his his whole thing you, yeah. you got you got to understand that Prince Prince is somebody who desperately, desperately needed something that he didn't have in his life. And that's what this music and he, and that was. His whole thing was, I need to convince everybody, and particularly in the early days before the shit blew up and before he really figured that, okay, this shit can work. How do I make this shit work? I need to convince everybody in my band that this shit can work. Because okay. I need them to come and able every day to be able to convince me right. that this shit is going to work. Mm. So everybody had a stake in it right. that was you're either in it or you're not. Mm -hmm. And I didn't have that perspective. This right. was a gig. Yeah. This was not some fantasy. This was not the Wizard of Oz, you know. Right. And, yeah. and you said many times that, that you really weren't a big, you know, you weren't really a huge Prince fan. And I, and I guess that probably that definitely has changed over the years is probably his music has progressed and, and kind of stammered into some of the, the taste that, that you have. But was Prince ever really aware so, that was Prince aware that you were he not? Had really, yeah. He, 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 <laughs> he had to have been. Yeah. He had to have been. Yeah. Because it, it, it now when when. um I, re I remember once, you, you know, we, we we did the sessions for the family, and then when he went out on the on, on the Purple Rain tour, he invited me to come out and join the band on that tour. And for the last couple months of the tour, I was I was on the tour, and we'll come up and play some songs. Just I'd solo on a couple songs, and I was there only for his amusement. I mean, really, because nobody in the audience knew who the hell I was. I wasn't a character in the movie or the band. I was just all of a sudden some guy who's playing a horn that they didn't know what the hell it was. And, right. you know, I was there purely for Prince's amusement, whatever. Um, and I, I remember, you know, and at that point, I'm still kind of figuring out, well, you know, how good is this guy? Like, what really is this guy about as a musician beyond just this? Hmm. Um, and when he would when he would close the concert with with the song Purple Rain, um, obviously the song builds up to the solo, the guitar solo, right. as iconic and 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 recognizable a guitar solo in the history of pop music. 
but there were nights, I don't know if he did it every night, but there were nights where the band would hit, Wendy would hit the first chords of the, of the song, they'd come in with the groove. Because Prince was off stage, because it was an encore. Prince was off stage, he would come back on stage. And some nights he would play a guitar solo at the beginning of the song. And not a rock solo, but just a dry, no effects, dry guitar solo. Just very soft while they're just kind of just, you know, hitting the vamp. And then he'd start to sing the song. And the first night I ever heard him do that was the first time I think I ever listened to him as, holy shit, this guy can play some guitar. Hmm. Because it wasn't something that was affected or a character-driven solo. It was just him with his freaking guitar playing extemporaneously. Hmm. And it was a whole different thing you know at that point it was maybe the first time that i really sat and listened to him from just that and i said i'm not listening to him as prince i'm listening to him i can play some guitar yeah mm-hmm. right you know and i mentioned that to him the next day and and not in a way you know i mean you don't you don't compliment prince from a perspective of trying to earn brownie points because you can see through that you know and and yeah. that wasn't my right you know that's not who i am anyway um but I was just like, I was just from musician to musician. I just happened to mention this and dude I said, by the way, man, I said, that was a really, really cool solo you played like, on, on, on Purple Rain. And he didn't, he at first thought I was referring to the main solo at the end. And he looked at me and said, I play that the same way every night. And I said, no, no, dude, I don't mean that. I mean what you played at the front of the song. And he looked at me and when he sometimes would would genuinely understand that this was not a, you know, this wasn't about Prince. This right. is what you, here's a musician. And he, and he was, and then he got really shy and he said, Oh, well, thank, thank you. Mm. You know, that, that's, that's nice of you to say that, you know, but now on the yeah. other end, but, but we're going back to like, like the business side of things. Um, I, I understand the circumstance of Wendy and Lisa and the revolution are in as far as, you know, how things were, you know um yeah yeah tumultuous for, for the money yeah and all that <laughs> yeah. you got but you got you got you got to also understand how a lot of this music comes together too um because we would be jamming and everybody wants to contribute it's who we are it's what we do right so when you got somebody like prince and you're in something like that and he's open to ideas you want to be the one that's going to throw in the idea that might actually end up being something right. Right. yeah but you yeah. also need to understand to be careful what you're looking for what you're asking for right. because he's the only one that's going to make make a decision as to what the value is now it's always a fine line for me as a horn player particularly um he could ask me to come in and and do a do, do an uh you know, throw something like, well, take a song like uh, um, uh, Girls and Boys. Um, it's one of the first songs that I, I put baritone saxophone on. Because mm-hmm. all of a sudden he fell in love with that instrument. So everything for like a, a month was baritone. <laughs> and so we're doing that. The track was done. And he's with me and he said, um, give me a line. I need something. So I came up with that baritone line, whatever it was, the corny ass line. I'm sorry, it's a real cliche written corny ass line, but it fit what the thing was. I'm just, you know, it's, 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 he wants a baritone sax. I'm going to give him like a real cliche written James Brown 
spare them, all the low notes, you know, <laughs> and he loved it. Right. So now um, he gave me a bonus on that, but unsolicited. Now I got paid for the session, but now that's not a circumstance where I have any legal right to claim writers right. Right. because he doesn't need that line in order to sing girls boys. You know, is that, might say, works? Is, is, that, is that legally how it works? If you're yes. if, if like somebody, so if you just come in and you're, if the melody is kind of already there and you're adding your pieces, you, you legally don't have any right to no. You know, okay. No, no, I get I paid. I get paid for the session. It's a fee for service. Okay. And, that, and that's according to, and that's according to uh, American Federation of Musicians rules. So I get paid for the session. But what anything if you on paid for the session? What if you just came into the studio and just like, he was jamming and you just kind of sat in and jammed and it was just, you know, you just happened to be there, chill. If it went to tape, I get paid. Right. Gotcha. Even okay. as 90% of the stuff that I recorded for Prince is still in the vault and never released. It's on <laughs> tape. And for every session, there was a contract filed with the union. Mm. You know, um, I got paid. Now, if he wants to give me a bonus, that's on him. And for something like that, and that song, he did. Now, um, he gave me writers and songwriting and publishing on the song It's Gonna Be a Beautiful Night. Yeah. The Sound of the Times a, album. The live track, yeah. Right. That was put together at the sound check on that gig in Paris in the afternoon. He came up with the groove. Someone did. Mark Brown came up with the bass line. Matt Fink came up with the keyboard part. He looked at me, he said, Eric, I need a line. Game the line. Bat, 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 whatever it was. That's the song. We do it, did it on the gig that night. Now there were a lot of overdubs in the stu in the studio later, did a lot of overdubs to post-production on that. I got paid for the session. I had no expectation um, that I would have songwriters of publishing on that song. But he gave a piece of it to me and he gave a piece of it to Matt Fink. Okay. I would have had no legal, you know, there was no sense that I would have, you know, I did not have a legal you know, case to go to him and say, hey, you need to give me a piece of that. I got paid for the session. He decided to give me a piece of it, decided to give Matt Fink a piece of it. He did not give Mark Brown a piece of it. Hmm. Mark, Mark has Brown some stories. Out. Yeah. <laughs> now, now, the fact is, Mark Brown had no legal recourse any more than I did. That's just Prince deciding, I'm going to be friendly with Eric and Matt. But Mark Brown, he was out of the band by then or soon after that. So he was angry. Right. Mark Brown, he's, he quit. I ain't giving him a piece of this. And he didn't have a legal necessity to sit down. There is always a fine line between what really is legally copyrightable or not. So I'm not going to second guess Wendy or Lisa about because I know so much of the stuff that they contributed. And a lot of the stuff they contributed possibly could be more legitimately a part of what a song is. Right. Mountains was their song. So I'm sure they got paid for that because they were credited with that. Um, Power Fantastic 
was Wendy and Lisa's song. You know, my favorites. One of my uh, favorites. Yeah, Man, yeah. Some of my favorites. Some of my favorite songs were Wendy penned by Wendy and yeah. Lisa. Yeah. Now, Not, my, like all of them, but I'm just saying, you know, Power Fantastic would be an example of them. Um, the one that was just. Um, anyway, yeah, I, yeah. I, I but, but, but here's the here's the thing. When 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 we did the family album. Mm -hmm. um there there are two instrumentals on first of all if, if you read the songwriting credits on the label the family album they're arbitrary because he decided to just put on the label this song was written by jelly bean this song was written by jerome this song was that that's all bullshit prince wrote everything well the, the song river run dry was uh bobby z's song that was bobby rifkin's song so he got paid for that okay. um everything else was written by prince except there are two instrumentals on the on on the family album. One is called Susanna's Pajamas, and the other one is called Yes. Um, the melody for the song Yes was mine because it was just a track. So he had me come in the studio, and I put the horn solos on a horn arrangement, but also what constitutes a melody. Because if somebody's going to say to you, "I want to hear you know play the song Yes," you're going to have to play that melody because that's what the song is. That was mine. Susanna's Pajamas was just an extemporaneous solo from beginning to end, but it's the only thing that can be referred to as the melody. Mm -hmm. So on those two songs, now I, I, I was, you know, I've been working with Prince for a long, you know, less than a year, but I said, all of the other stuff that I played on the album is just solos and arrangements. So that I don't have, I, I, you know, I, I got paid for that. That's that done deal. But here are two songs where I do have a legitimate case to have songwriting and or publishing royalties coming from those songs. I asked Prince, I said, whom do I talk to in your organization about that? And he said, talk to my business manager. Well, I ended up actually talking to his, one of his personal managers, Bob Cavallo. And I'm the new kid here. So, And, and Bob didn't want to hear this. He's Prince's manager. You know, you want to hear from me. Right. But I said, look, Bob, yeah. um, there are two songs in this album that I should have a piece of because the melodies are mine. They constitute part of the song. And Bob is not looking out for my interest. You don't owe me anything. He works for Prince. Right. So his whole thing was, hey, kid, you know, he said, hey, kid, hey, let me tell you how this works, kid. You know? <laughs> and he said, uh, Eric, you're new here. You don't want to rock the boat. You've got a lot of opportunities. And I said, Bob, Bob said, this ain't my first rodeo. I do not. And I said, first of all, I'm not coming to you with an ultimatum. I understand what's in this for me. All I'm saying to you is you have an opportunity to hear. You said, you have a decision to make. You're either going to do the right thing or not. You know, I'm not saying that I'm going to sue you. I got, you know, I don't have the resources to do that. I'm not even coming to you saying this is what I should get for this. I'm just telling you, I'm the new guy here. And you're representing Prince's interest. Prince's interest is to have a good relationship with me as much as it is in my interest to have a good relationship with Prince. And you're the person right now that's going to decide whether that happens. Yeah. What are you offering me? And he called me back the next day. This is what we're offering. I said, done deal. Yeah. So, I mean, he's, he's probably got to break that news to, to Prince and, and sit down with him. Maybe he did. Okay. You know, maybe he, he did. Maybe he did. Maybe he didn't. I suppose right. he did. But, right. you know, but the thing is, is like, I don't know how the relationship started with the people in the revolution because they're there. This is my life. This is what my life is. They're not thinking about those things. 
I am. Right. This is a gig. This is how I make a living. So you put that on. And, and the basic thing was maybe I should have even gotten more than what they offered. I wouldn't worry about that. I was just putting it. I need to, I need to start to define the relationship right. yeah. now. Right. Absolutely. Right. You know, yeah. that's all. Yeah. And, and that's, it, yeah. That's, and that's, I, that's a good thing. I mean, you know, and I, I see, you know, Julie said, you know, it's, it's good for you for speaking up. I know a lot of people, you know, we hear stories all the time. I mean, you know, uh, Mark is a friend of mine and he's been on the show. He talked about the whole kiss scenario and everything that happened mm-hmm. with that song. And, sure. um, you know, so we hear those, those stories constantly, people that have, have gone into the Prince camp and, and maybe felt like they contributed a lot more than, than really they're legally, uh, you know, obligated to get credit for. Yeah. Talking to, um, yeah, you hear talking to James Brown's band back in the 60s. Oh, yeah, yeah. Every single <laughs> yeah, documentary, yeah. no matter how hard right. they try, every single documentary they do about James Brown, that comes up sure. all the time that they didn't get yeah, paid, but he's walking off jets with it, yeah. walking off jets with fur coats on. And it's like, yeah. okay, hold on a yeah. second, time out. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, here, here, here's. Here's the mo- here's my most famous one of the most famous things about putting it in 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 perspective, and it's, it's a Miles Davis story, but it has to do with okay Miles Davis in 1960 recorded one of his most iconic albums with, with called Sketches of Spain, hmm. and it was an album of just absolutely gorgeous music. Um, the iconic. Writer and arranger Gil Evans was the right was the arranger for that. They did several albums together. Yeah, yeah. The main piece of the album was a piece called the Concierto de Arenas or something like that. It was written by a classical composer by the name of Rodriguez. Yes, it was a classical piece for symphony orchestra. Gil Evans took the music and edited it, took only one part of, it was a full symphony, took one movement of the symphony and completely rearranged it for brass, no strings, brass, jazz percussion, whatever. And it became one of the most significant albums in Miles Davis's career. Gil Evans would tell the story about, he got paid for the arrangement, you see. Because part of his deal. Now, I'm sure Gil had a piece of the album because he was the artist on the album. But basically, the bulk of, of what he got paid was for the arrangement, which was whatever the contract was between him and Columbia Records. And at that time, I wouldn't have been surprised if maybe he got $1,000 for it. You know, maybe he got more. He might have gotten less. You know, this is 1960. Yeah. Right, but right. anyway, he laughed. He always would laugh. Gil Evans would laugh. And so the thing was, is that the word was, is that the composer, Rodriguez, didn't like what we did with it. Hmm. But Gil Evans said, I'll bet he liked it when he started getting royalties <laughs> because he was the composer. Because the piece had never been successful until Miles did it. Right. Only after Miles made a hit record out of it did symphony orchestras start to realize, hey, this might be something we want to play. Yeah, so, right. you know, and Gil Evans said, I might have spent more time and energy writing the damn arrangement than he did writing the piece to begin with. But I didn't write it, so I don't get songwriters to publishing. I just made it easier for him to get more money than he ever made on the song before. 
So that's yeah. how that shit works, yeah. you know. So um, such a complicated it, industry, especially yeah, it, in that it, regard, yeah. just rights yeah. and stuff. So, so it 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 helps to know, you know, what what you, what have have some background now now. Like I said, when I told Bob Cavalla, this wasn't my first rodeo because I had been doing this. I'd already been doing this for a career for a long time, you know, and, and I wasn't coming up in somebody's camp, right. you know. Yep. So yeah. so that now having said that, there are many, many musicians in Prince's bands over the years that had much the same um, relationship and the same attitude that that, that I did. Um, I, I'll, give, I'll give an example. Um I would say maybe all around me, one of the greatest keyboard players he probably ever had in his band was Renato Neto, um, who played, God. you know. Now, yeah. Renato and I oh, had played together in a band with Sheila E called the E-Train in 94, 95, which is still one of the hippest, greatest bands I ever played with. And Renato Neto, well, you know, so I already knew Renato. And I said, man, this cat is ridiculous. Yeah. So yeah. when he ended up playing with Prince years later, I said, oh, that's funny. I hope Prince really understands what he's got with Renato. Renato, he wasn't a fan of Prince. And, you know, specifically, I'm saying he wasn't a fan, not, you know, there, I'm sure there was music of Prince that he might have enjoyed, right. but he wasn't taking that gig because, oh my God, I got a Prince. He said, oh shit, I got a gig with Prince. I don't get paid. This is going to be cool. <laughs> now, Renato, yeah. um, as a keyboard player, he was, said, yeah, it was also cool because he said, there are things as, as a keyboard player that I learned from Prince. So why wouldn't I? You know, because right. there's certain aspects of Prince's playing that are specific to, to Prince's music that he needed me to know. And he showed me things. It was cool. So, I mean, you know, Hernato's open to that. He's a, he's a musician. Um, and Hernato was there for quite a few years. And Hernato was very, very smart in how he handled his relationship with Prince. Mm -hmm. You know, um, Hernato's a no pushover. And I'm sure he probably got pretty much any and everything that he could have expected. Now, in any given day, I'm sure Renato got stories about Prince Hall like the rest of like yeah. the rest of us do. So you know, yeah, I I can imagine. And, and speaking of Renato, because I know he came onto my radar when we um when he came into town with One Night Alone that that tour, and yeah. I I just thought you know this is somebody who is who is playing on a level that is really on par and 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 even surpasses what Prince was doing, and was just it was staggering because I I kept wondering to my, myself. It's very, very rare that Prince likes to put people on stage that can potentially outperform him or outplay him on a specific instrument. He always likes to kind of, that's one of the, con the control things that he has. And and when he had Renato on the stage, it was just like, wow. Yeah. I mean, yeah, well, I mean, you know, Renato's, Renato's from uh, uh, Sao Paulo, Brazil. And I mean, grew mm -hmm. up in Brazil. So, I mean, and, and there is a specific aspect of the harmony of, of Brazilian music that you grow up with that is, yeah. you know, distinct to that. And then coming to, and, and then having on top of that, the jazz vocabulary, um, the arrangements and things that he would come up with when we had this band together with Sheila, the E-Train were just absolutely phenomenal. Um, mm -hmm. And he is an absolute wonder at choreographing um, the different keyboards. I would listen, I've got a lot of gig tapes, private gig tapes of the band that we have with, with Sheila. And I listened to those tapes and I could swear there were two keyboard players in that band, but it was just all Hanato, you know? Yeah. Yeah. He, he, he was absolutely just, uh, um, Beast. yeah. Yeah. Just terrific. I, I was trying to find this question that, that I had, uh, kind of talking a little bit about, you know, um, because you were involved a little bit with in him in the two thousands and, um, 
you saw him all the way back in in the period where he was you know raunchy there's a lot of shock factor and a lot of stuff that he wanted to do mm-hmm. um, and then you know you kind of fast forward into the 2000s and now he's a very focused spiritual person as far as his demeanor his messages you know he's always kind of had you know a little bit of something what was your i'm trying to think of the right word uh what was your impression of the i guess his progression as an individual as far as his spirituality is concerned and did that really do you feel like that kind of impacted the way that he wrote music because I, i i kind of felt like a lot of the way that he progressed as you know, spiritually really had an effect on the type of music that he was creating and the flow that he was creating. I can only say from my own personal perspective on that, it might be, might not be something that a lot of Prince's fans want to hear, but he was the same. Fantastic. He was the same. Yeah. Because, because his religion and how he behaved in that was an affectation. I mean, it was very real to him, but his, his, his spirituality was absolutely no different then than it was before. It's just that he decided to present it in a different way. Mm. Now, a lot of that, he, you know, um, he, he, he points to, to Larry Graham as being, you know, an influencer and yeah. being a Jehovah's Witness. Right. Um, unfortunately, and like I say, I'm, I'm just going to tell straight up, um, Prince's religion was not about God. Prince's religion was about him. Yeah. If you want to know everything about Prince's spirituality, look at the cover of Love Sexy. Yes, that was you know yeah, yeah. His, his, his his whole his whole demeanor and basically his thought of himself and this thing that Prince had invented was that I am God's gift to everything. Well, you know, but 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 it but in his defense, on the same same note, you know, he did make a lot of conscious decisions as far as you know he was no longer going to use profanity on the stage. So there was some conscious decisions that he was doing that yes, would, that yes. ultimately affected his music and the way that he. Well, it, yeah, it certainly was going to on the surface. But here's the thing: he was. I, I'm convinced that he wasn't doing that because he had some kind of moral awakening. So much of what he did was just his way of said, "Well, I'm going to be different, and this is the different way in which I'm going to control everything." Really? Yeah, okay. because basically, I'm not going to cuss anymore, so none of you can. I'm going to be a vegan now, so none of you can. I'm not going to call my name Prince, so you can't call me Prince. So how are you going to address me? How are you going to relate to me? You have to do it, and it's awkward. So now I've got you at a disadvantage because you don't even know how to address me. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, there was. The, yeah, you, you're all right. There's a lot of controlling aspects to that. I just thought Absolutely. it was hilarious. That, now, so, now, yeah. in his own heart, did he take it to heart? Sure, he did. Yeah. Because right. a oh, con yeah. man, because a con man has to convince himself before he can successfully con anybody else. Oof. Wow. Uh, ouchie. <laughs> ouchie. Ouchie. Well. Now, now, under, now, understand <laughs> right. something. Right. All, all of this has nothing to do with the value of his yeah. music, because at the right. end of the day, yeah. that's right. all we really got to talk about. Right. Oh, yeah. 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 That's yeah. That's his legacy is is his music. Here are the two most important things for me about Prince is that this is a guy who had this remarkable musical gift to be able to leave this music that has so positively affected so many millions of people. And for everybody, whether you're a fan of his music or not, but understanding what that the value of that legacy is cannot be argued with. Right. So right. it's like we should all be thankful that somebody like that existed. Yes. We should also be thankful that that's all he wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because this person with another 
desire hmm. would have been dangerous. Hmm. Well, he was dangerous in that position he was in. <laughs> he was yeah. a very dangerous individual. Yeah. So thank God it was yeah. for that. Yeah. Right. You know, yeah, yeah. So we're, so it's a win-win. He yeah. did that, and in doing that, he didn't do this. Right. Right. You know? Yeah. Right. Now I'm sorry. I'm yeah. sorry. Now look, all of that for me is Tweedledum, Tweedledee, because I could sit here and I could tell you about things, Prince, and make your skin crawl, hmm. literally. Things he has yeah. said to me, things that I know he has said and done to other people. That you could say, oh, my God, how does a person in like that even have the right to think the thoughts that he has to, in order to behave like that? But I also know this is, is a guy who could be exceedingly generous and thoughtful in many other you know, aspects. You can't reconcile that. You know, right. don't even try. Right. You know, now for me personally, talking about anybody else, for me personally. It's somebody who really doesn't know anything about Prince says, oh, you were for Prince, fine. So we'll tell you about that. Let me tell you this. The first thing I'm going to tell you about Prince is what he did for me, which doesn't have a damn thing to do with his music or anything I ever did for his music. For whatever reason, and the reason is his, his alone, for whatever reason, he heard something in my plane and in my musical aspirations that after we had done Madhouse and all of that stuff, he came to me and said, screw all that. He said, I'm going to, I want to sign you to Paisley Park Records. I want you to go make your own music. No strings attached. And he gave me a freaking rock and roll budget to make music that like, <laughs> you know, ain't going to sell the kind of records that he, you know, that even justifies. Yeah. Now, at that point in time, there was nobody else from any other record label banging on my door. Say, here, come record for us. You know, Prince came to me and basically said, all I'm interested in you doing right now is making your own music. Here's a contract. Go. No strings attached. You don't have to make it with me. I don't want you to make it with me. Said, uh, you know, what, what, what you want to do and what you need to do isn't here. It's wherever you want it to be. You know, all I want is to hear whatever it is that you end up doing. And now from, from a standpoint of just a musician to musician, for somebody of his caliber, to say that to me, you don't think that means something to me? Of course yeah, it does. Right. And on right. top of that, he's he's got the record company to enable me to do it. You know, it's like, thank but, you. I'm out of here. I'll see you. Here's the record when it's done. You know, so all yeah. of that is bullshit. The but that's interesting that he he said that to you in regard to that. But when it came to the F Deluxe scenario, was something that you guys took upon yourself. He didn't even want to even entertain listening to it because of the fact was he threatened because you were wanting to use the name and yeah, that's that, I, I guess that has to be that has to be what it is but yeah yeah you know. because that was his because you know you know yeah. the family was okay. his. Yeah, yeah yeah i guess it's just all best now once again it. now once again yeah i i understood truly that a lot of that has to has to do with whatever place he is in his life because mm -hmm. six months later six months before maybe he wouldn't have given me the said and thought that right you know Right. And and two years later, I, mean, I said, I don't know, why I give, you know, whatever. And I'm not saying he would do that for somebody else, whatever. But at that point in time, for whatever reason, he gave me that opportunity. So the first thing I got to say about Prince is this is a cat who enabled me to do the only thing in music I really ever wanted to do is to make my own music in my own manner with the musicians that I chose to make it with. And yeah. when it came down to doing my second album, and he basically gave me, he said, no strings attached, you're free. Here's the budget. Go. Get out of here. He said, 
you know, I called Warner, you know, my, bro my brother at that point was, was still running Paisley Park Records. We sat down with the A&R department, the jazz department of Warner Brothers, who, you know, Paisley Park was distributed through. Mm -hmm. And we got them on board because basically, I, in fact, Prince even laughed. He said, well, what do you think you should do? And I said, first thing I'm going to do, talk to the A&R department of Warner Brothers. He said, you want to get involved with the suits? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, yo, Prince, he said, they're the ones that can get me hooked up with the musicians that I want to that I aspire to play with. And right. sure enough, on my second album, I had, I had one weather reports, rhythm sections, you mm. know? So yeah. it's like, <laughs> this is, so, this is what, this is what Prince did for me. Everything right. else is Tweedledum, Tweedledee. You know, right. there is nothing that anybody in his position could have done for me more meaningful than that. Mm. So, and I will always be grateful to him and his memory for you know for having given me that opportunity mm -hmm. before anything else after that yeah i could talk to him like a dog like like everybody else that worked <laughs> with him but at the end of the day you know it it, it it it's all about the music it's all that's you know this is what this cat left right yeah, you yeah. Know, he, and, and he wasn't supposed to do anything else right right exactly yeah. that's it yeah that's right so, yeah so what the hell no yeah i feel that way about a lot of artists uh well yeah yeah you know, it's, it's, it doesn't matter to me what what they did, what happened, how they did it. I mean, you know, that's that's their business with who they knew. But you know, it's the music that touched me. You know, that's that's what I felt, and that's what they left. And you know, most musicians and artists and music they do like you really don't have a clue. You know, you don't have a clue as to what the person is anyway, besides just what the music is. Right. You right. Know, like yeah. what? Um. Um. And if I'm going to say top five musicians in top or top 10, you know, musicians in, in my life, um, Keith Jarrett, the piano player would, mm -hmm. would be one of them. I mean, the, you know, I mean, the, it's just absolutely just one of my favorite musicians and all. And everything that I know about Keith Jarrett, you know, that I know, I said, I don't think this is the guy I want to meet. <laughs> you know, I know, I know a lot about Keith Jarrett, you know, <laughs> So you see, I got the luxury. I don't have to let him into my home. Right. All I have to let in, into my home is his music. Right. It's like you give me the music, you need to stay outside. Right. I don't need you in here. I just need your music. I just yeah. need so, your music. Yeah. 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 Now, now having said that, a lot of you know, as I, as I said in 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 the last um, time we talked, so much of that and and my ability to to have this perspective came from knowing James Brown when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. Right. So I, you know, mm -hmm. I had that opportunity to, like I say, realize the, the to distinguish the value of the product from the person. Right. Now, obviously, you cannot. You know, you have to understand the totality of the person because the music is that. Right. So you have to take Prince, the good, bad, and everything, in order to really understand and appreciate his music. Because the good side of Prince is responsible for his some of his greatest music as the bad side of Prince is. Right. Yeah. yeah. And and that goes for but still at the end of the day, you know, if you like the music, you like the music. Nothing that's else it. matters. That's right. That's it. Yeah, exactly. That's it. You know, yeah. I mean, it's like I I I remember reading somebody once, you know, somebody that was distraught because they realized that Prince was a homophobe. <laughs> You know, I mean, this, you know, I mean, famous story about him, him asking if, if Wendy and Lisa or, or asking Wendy to come and do a gig this in the late night or, you know, or whatever. Right. 
Yeah. And and when he said, yeah, I, I could do that. And, and then all of a sudden, principal, first thing you got to do is you got to denounce your that you're gay. Right. right. Yeah. You know, OK, right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. you know. How do I do that? Um, <laughs> I am no longer a woman. Okay, can yeah, I right. yeah. yeah. So, like, so, and, 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 I, and I and I remember I remember reading about you know or some some fan that said, "Oh my God, I don't know if I can love Prince anymore." I said, "Well, it's like okay, right? I get it. You know, if 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 the problem is if you invest so much of your emotional investment in that, and that's what makes it difficult." Yeah, and all yeah. I can think about is here's a, put 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 that on a perspective. If anyone is familiar with the music of Richard Wagner, you know, whatever all that shit is. Now this is a guy that was considered and still considered by many to be one of the most significant composers of symphonic classical music or whatever. Anybody knows anything about Richard Wagner knows that he was a a psychopathic and pathological racist and anti-Semite. Mm. He was a hero of Hitler's because Hitler knew what you know, he's dead by then, but I mean, the, the music of Wagner was like the soundtrack to the Third Reich. Mm. You know, he was idolized by Hitler and the Nazis because he was, I mean, this is a guy that literally thought that Jews should just be wiped off the face of the earth. And, yeah. and, 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 and I know a lot of people, some were Jewish, that have difficulty reconciling the fact that they love his music. Mm. Right. And in fact, sometime, I forget in the late 80s or early 90s, I forget exactly when, the Israeli National Symphony Orchestra presented a concert of the music of Richard Wagner hmm. in wow. Israel. Wow. Now, you don't think that that didn't cause a little controversy? Of course it did. <laughs> you know, and, and in fact, and, and I'm, I'm trying to think of what Zubin made or, or, or one of the uh, whoever was leading the orchestra at the time. But when he decided to do this and he explained to the orchestra and he said to the or members of the orchestra, those of you who do not wish to participate in this, I understand. And you will be excused at full pay. You do not have to participate. And some of them did not say, I ain't doing this. But right. he had enough that he could present the program. For what I remember reading, the program was sold out. <laughs> it was, you know, and his thing was, like it or not, Wagner is, his music is a significant part of the repertoire of world-class symphony orchestras. And if we are a world-class symphony orchestra, then we must be able to do justice to this man's music as we would to Beethoven or Mozart or whomever. You know, all of whom were crazy. All of them were nuts. And may have been, may, yeah, and may has been pathologically racist as much as Wagner was. So my point is, said you, you know, Prince really, Prince, Prince wasn't a homophobe, right? No, no. That was just him trying to tell Wendy, I'm, I'm in control. Oh, you want to do that? This is what you got to do. Yeah. Right. Yeah, he used to say dumb shit like that to me sometimes. That was just like, oh, Prince, get a, you know, get a grip. Well, you I know? mean, he was the one that originally put Wendy and Lisa together on well, the that's stage. That's the whole thing. That part, I, anyways. Yeah, all of a sudden, I'm in the band. A couple, it still doesn't. Yeah, yeah, I'm in the band with the Revolution. There were, four, there were there were four of us who were Jews. There were two who were gay. You got blacks and whites, and this is the whole thing. And like 15 years later, he's going to come out, and all of a sudden, he's going to present as a homophobe. No, yeah, come on. Yeah. Right. You want a home phone? He's just stupid. <laughs> that's, you know, that, that, that was all about control. Mm. That's all that's right. about. Yeah, that's yeah. it. We've and, seen and, that. And, 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 you know, there, there, on any given day, any of us had, had to be willing to, to, to deal with that. Hmm? Because yeah, that, you, you know, those things, that, that, was part of, that was part of things. My brother said, you know, you were either going to drink the Kool-Aid or you weren't. And, and, you know, on any given day, I might think, it's like, okay, I'm going to drink the Kool-Aid today, but I'm drinking it because 
there's a reason for me to drink it. I'm not drinking it because you're telling me to drink it. I drink it because this I'm going to get paid this week. But one of these days, I'm not going to drink it. And that, you know, and then you're, then you're done. And, yeah. And, yeah. and that's cool. And that's what, you know, so yeah. it's like Alan once said, you know, said, said everybody ever worked for Prince. It might be a wonder, you know, working for Prince is like being in a great movie, but it was always going to have a bad ending. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, you know. And bad acting. And bad. <laughs> well, that, well, that too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. The, 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 yeah, I used to say, used to say to people, they said the only thing, the only thing that uh, I want to put in said, um, yeah, he he did something amazing, absolutely amazing in the film industry. He made Under the Cherry Moon, which many of us would refer to as Under the Cherry Bomb. That's what. Right. You know, <laughs> and then he did, and then he did something that was absolutely amazing. He made another movie that was even worse. <laughs> <laughs> So God bless them. But <laughs> you can find the backers, then you know why not? Exactly. And 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 you know what you, you know what you, you know I did that because he enjoyed it. Mm. He enjoyed going on a movie set and being in control. It was fun because he got action going on. I could tell you to do this, I could tell you to do that, because everything in Prince's life was a movie. His whole life was a movie, and right. everybody yep. in it was just a character. Right. He was the scriptwriter. He was the producer. He was the director. He was the star, and we were just characters in the movie. And if you're willing to understand it from that, and you say this is this is gonna be fun for a minute, you're just you're just running down the rabbit hole, right? And all all, all I would say is that if you can run down the rabbit hole, um, leave breadcrumbs, right? <laughs> That's yeah. all. You know, <laughs> it was you know, it was, yeah. What the hell? All right. So, so I want all the listeners, all the listeners, right. to get it because you're about to read this question, oh, and sorry. I'm gonna. Your words? You're not going to read the questions? Else, no. Okay. No. <laughs> I was going to say, I want all the listeners to, to definitely grab a pen and paper because uh, you're going to ask this question. And then I was going to go back to that blue oh. note question <laughs> because everybody needs to do their homework here because there are so many artists. That, there's some names that you mentioned tonight that I'm shaking my head. Yes. No, I, 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 I know. I, just, I, 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 I have no idea who that is. I know. So yeah. I want to remedy that. I, I really want to rectify that. And obviously we want to do our research and kind of, you know, kind of get into the phase of really kind of understanding some of this music that is not mainstream that mm -hmm. we, that everybody needs to pay attention to. So yes. Rob, right. you want to go with your question first and then we'll go to the blue note one. And so right. that we can... Yeah. Yeah. So, so I know that obviously you're, um, you're, you're a big jazz fan and jazz man and you have, this enormous collection of records. I'm, I love Miles Davis. I'm also a big Miles Davis fan. I'm sure you have stuff I don't have and can't find and probably can't mm -hmm. afford. Uh, <laughs> but, only uh, copy of it, right? <laughs> Sorry, I got to get my I got to get my paper out for writing. But I know out of that out of extension, it, you know, you've got that extensive collection up there, and we talked about a si in a silent way. I love in a silent way. That's one of those I always go mm -hmm. back to back to mm -hmm. um what what which albums do you tend to go back to or which artists do you tend to go back to it's like you you may have listened to it a hundred times and you're just like i gotta listen to it again um i i have a musical hall of fame oh wow of, of my own my own personal hall of fame now that you know i i could give you a list of like 30 or 40 just saxophone players there's music that you know i'm into but wow. if, if if i it's, it's more like a musical tree you okay. know with the trunk and the branches and there are certain artists that all of the other artists are are tied in some way and relate to these artists. Gotcha. 
and it's Ray Charles, mm-hmm. James Absolutely. Brown, Ray Charles, James Brown, right. Miles Davis, John Coltrane, mm-hmm. Wayne Shorter, and Joe Zavanul, mm-hmm. and Eddie Palmieri. Eddie Palmieri is basically he's in his 80s now. My favorite oh. the music that I love as much as any music in the world is Afro-Cuban music, which is typically referred to as salsa. Tito Puente, Ray Barreto, all these guys. But Eddie Palmieri is the son of Latin music. He is, for people who are into this music, Eddie Palmieri is like the Miles Davis, the Thelonious Monk, the Duke Ellington of that music all combined. Wow, that's a lot. There is no artist in music in the world that I have been more proud and thankful to have been, had the opportunity to play music with in Eddie Palmieri. Mm. Nobody. Mm. Well, I got an opportunity to play with him. When was this? Yes. Um, I've sat in with him. I, I've known him for 30, 25, almost 30 years now mm. and had the opportunity to sit in with him Never, you know, on, on occasion. I, in fact, um, he was here last year, right? In fact, the last, the last time I've been on a stage playing music was with Eddie Palmieri at the Dakota Bar and Grill here in Minneapolis about a, two weeks before everything shut down from the pandemic last year, oh, wow. in 2020. That's uh, a blessing. Um, I played with them at the Blue Note in New York, other places. So I've had the opportunity to play, you know, over the years to play with him, um, well, maybe six, seven, eight times or whatever. Um, I've been into his music as a fanatic probably since the early 70s, early mid 70s, when I really, really got into it. Um, I'm very, very good friends with several of the musicians that have come in and out of his bands over the year, um, over the years. For those of us who have not listened to any Eddie Palmieri albums in their entirety, what, where is the starting point for somebody who's coming into? Wow. Well, this is a guy who's probably got 50, 60 albums Just, in his career. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. but you know, like if you but, say Miles Davis, you can say, yeah. you can say, um, okay. Really. Can I, 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 I can say, I would say, I would start with, I could say uh, there was an album here called Sentido. Spelled S E N T I D O, Sentido. It it may, it may still be. You know, if you go to Amazon or whatever and, and just type in, you know, um, some of these might come. There was one that was just known as Eddie Palmer's White Album, because hmm. it was just called Eddie Palmieri. It came out around 1980 or something, and it's got a white cover and it was the white. His his white. The Beatles had their white album. Eddie Palmieri is white album. There's another one called The Son of Latin Music. Um. There's another one called Palo Parumba. I mean, it, it's I, I literally could go on, but Sentido might be one to begin with. Um, okay. It it th- this is a guy who, and and Eddie Palmieri is 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 one of the dearest, most wonderful people I've ever met and known in music. And and he he is um, what. When when I was you know coming up in the music and the music that I love, whether it was James Brown the jazz stuff and, and, and getting into, into salsa. There was something in the back of my mind that said, okay, you know, maybe, you know, I mean, this is like when I'm still in, in music school I said, if I'm really, really going to be good at this, you know, the opportunity or the scenario where I could ever find myself playing with a Miles Davis, as much of a fantasy as that was, I said, okay, that's something that I have to believe could happen. Because if I don't believe, or musicians of that caliber or something, because if I'm not going to believe that, why am I doing this? 
Right. And all the time I'm getting into this Afro-Cuban music and all of these other great groups, Canuto Libre, Ray Barretta, so many other bands, but particularly Eddie Palmieri, who was the Miles Davis of this music. And I'm saying, could that ever happen? Because all of a sudden, you know, all of the music is in Spanish because, you know, the singing is always in Spanish because the, the rhythmic cadence of the language is is you know it's inseparable from the rhythm of the music yeah. you know and the harmonies right. and all that so and knowing that it is such a closed community within you know the puerto rican and cuban community that i'm just some little jew kid from new york or i mean from from milwaukee whose parents are from new york so maybe i can play some jazz but this afro-cuban just because i love the music doesn't mean that you know the the rhythmic complexity of this music is beyond anything you know and all of the mu other music that i love and i said wow i don't know if that could ever happen and then through a certain circumstances or whatever i was able to meet eddie palmieri and and and, and he asked me to sit in with him that's fantastic. And, and the first time i sat in with him i think it was somewhere around 1992 or 93 he came he was here in in minneapolis and my brother took a picture of him and i got a photo of my you know photo of me on the stage and Eddie's at the piano and I'm standing next to some of the other horn players. And I just got this look on my face. And I'm kind of looking at Eddie and the, and the caption would be, he said, what the fuck? <laughs> you know, yeah. how in the hell did I get here? But the, um, so I've, so I've had the opportunity to, to, to play with him on several occasions. And when he was here just a year ago um, at the Dakota, and I, and I played with him and he, and, and that was his Latin jazz band. And I mean, these cats are just like, you know, these are cats who live this music every day. This is, you know, and I'm just coming somewhat, somewhat of a dilettante, you know, and that from, from my perspective, but yet I'm here playing this music with these guys and, and I'm, 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 I'm fine. You know, I'm, everything's cool. And so I, so, so, well, okay, I, I can play. I know that I've done this shit, but still, Eddie, Eddie came to me afterwards and, you know, I, like I said, I've known him for a long time. I played with him several times. And I always said, said, Eddie, man, I cannot thank you enough for, for asking me to play. And he said, Eric, this is your home. My stage is your home. Wow. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That's a lot coming from him. Yeah. No <laughs> other musician, could, no other musician in my life could mean that much to me than that. That's what that music means to me. So, yeah, yeah. that's like a pretty definitive answer on that one. <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah, you mentioned him and last time, and I, I actually uh, went out and picked up a couple uh, of things. Well, just I think I think listened online or something, but yeah, I was I was starting to really get into it. I was, I was just he he still has the ability today to go out and I mean this guy he's probably eighty or eighty one years old now, but he but but you know he always has just the most incredible young musicians that that are into this music. And he can go out and he doesn't sound like an, like a, you know, an older guy that's just trying to, you know, do just what he did 20, yeah. you know, right. His music and his, his ability to play the music as if, and, and a lot of the songs that he plays are songs that he's been playing for 40 or 50 years. Mm -hmm. And every time you hear these songs, you sit there and I said, it sounds and feels like this is the first time he ever played it. Mm. And that that's just that's just incredible. It's phenomenal. Yeah. That's, that's just just absolutely, you know. And he's also just one of the funniest 
human beings I've ever known. He is a <laughs> tremendous raconteur and storyteller. I tell you what, if you wow. reached out and got Eddie Palmieri on your show, it would be one of the greatest shows you would ever have because his, he is just absolutely, <laughs> really, absolutely. You know, he's actually he's got just, a couple of shows coming up. He's yeah. got uh, November 20th. He's got a show in Flushing, New York, and he's yep. got a couple of shows in Boston, Massachusetts that are coming up at yep. uh, the Scholars Jazz Club. So if you guys are in Boston or in oh, New York, absolutely. you got to yeah. check him out. Yeah, if I whether was... whether it's you know whether it's with his with his Latin jazz band or if he's got the full salsa ensemble with all the singers and and the full choros and all of that it's it's just like it, it's the greatest in the world and you, you know as much as I love everything so so, so it was like that was one of my greatest you know like I said damn I can actually play this shit too all right <laughs> you know, I mean you know, it was like yeah and and I'm like don't take my word for it I said you know. Eddie Palmieri says, I can, you know, I'm not going to tell you I play. I'll let Eddie Palmieri tell you what the hell. So, you know. We're going to call on him. And we're going to we're gonna tell him Eric sent us, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you know. Yeah. Arlene yeah. said, uh, invite him on and with Eric. And I I was just thinking about, um, <laughs> first off, I don't know <laughs> how that would work. Uh, we're going to have to start giving him like a writer or something. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it could well be. Because, well, well I, I also got to tell him, my, my brother Alan has has written um, uh, articles in, in, in magazines and journals about Eddie Palmieri. And and in fact, Alan Alan told me, um, I, I don't know, you you guys hip to, to the magazine Wax Poetics? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, they, they, they did, um, I guess about three or four years ago, maybe five years ago now, I guess, maybe, maybe even six years ago. I don't know. Um, they, they did a, uh, a long feature on, on Eddie and, and asked Alan, my brother to, to write the feature. Uh, and, and Eddie and Alan all, already knew each other. So, uh, Alan went, was in New York and went to, uh, Eddie's apartment home in, in New York at the time and to talk with him or whatever. And, and, uh, um, there was one point where, Eddie sat and played the piano. He had a grand piano in his apartment and Alan was with him in his living room and Eddie just started to play some. And I just sat there and I said, what did you do? And Alan said, it was everything I could not to just start crying. You know, yeah, I bet. And, yeah. Yeah. So anyway. Yeah. I mean, just artists like that just, just mean so much. It's like, you know, and, and I always found these funny stories about these, you know, world famous musicians that will go into the New York subway and will mm -hmm. play in the middle and, and like famous, famous, famous people like that are world renowned, like somebody like Eddie. And they'll just be sitting there just playing and people will just walk by him, maybe throw a dollar in the hat, just walk by. Get <laughs> well, Sonny Rollins, you know, Sonny Rollins, jazz, jazz tenor player, one of the icons of jazz tenor saxophone players. Um, famously would go out into the middle of the Brooklyn Bridge at night and, and practice. Oh, my gosh. Oh. Yeah. There's some stories there. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. We had, right. we had some, I guess, a couple you know, a couple of random questions. But, I mean, other than that, I mean, I think we, we, we pretty much did everything. Now, again, for those of you who are tuning in late, uh, this album right here, Eric Leeds and St. Paul Peterson, No Words. Is going yes, to be is going to be released yeah. uh, sometime around Thanksgiving, and I guess Paul is gonna Paul has already said he's gonna come on the show, and we're gonna we're gonna talk about it. Uh, we kind of hipped him to the idea of of Black Friday, 
Yeah. <laughs> and, and any, you know, any background that you want, just like I say, go to our website, leadspetersonmusic.com. And, uh, you, you know, there, there's some, I, I think there's some clips from the album up there and some other things too. You can check out whatever too. Yeah. Uh, I assume else you're on that's, that's coming out. I mean, do you have your, any, your own, your own stuff that's coming out besides this LP re-release or this, this pretty much is LP is my own. That's pretty much, you know, that's, yeah. that's where I, that's where I live now. So, um, okay. no, not really, you know, um, other than that, I'm, I'm fortunately in a position where I just play the music I want to play when I want to play it. So. And this is pretty much that's that's i mean you, you know uh, that's the I, I would love nothing better if paul <laughs> and Susan would get together and write some music for f deluxe that'd be cool they do that you know but yeah. getting them yeah. you know getting them on the same page to do that is sometimes easier said than done so, yeah I, I think i heard somebody i think i heard somebody mention uh that in the in the scroll there somebody mentioned is there there was i guess a rumor about the um well, they were talking about the revolution. They were talking. Somebody said something about the revolution getting back together, and something talked about the family getting back together uh, again as another Eftelex project or whatever. But I think all this stuff is just rumor and conjecture at this point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we you know we tried to get together, maybe do an Eftelux gig whenever we, you know we we've usually done one every year in Minneapolis at the Dakota. Um, you know, but, uh, you know, getting one, getting everybody together at the same time and being able to make it economically work too is, you know, once again, yeah. sometimes easier said than done. And that LP um, album, uh, Lenny wanted to know, is that going to be on sale on at electric fetus? Is it going to be the, is it going to be normal distribution? Or um, pro only? probably not Pro probably, you know, unless, unless, um, unless we do it on consignment, you know? Okay. Yeah. yeah. And I know there are some people, a lot of people have done that where, you know, they have like batches of, of music that, that somehow end up either in. Yeah. In, in and, and I mean, basically area. what that means is I, I, I would take 10 copies and take it to electric fees and do it, you know, and right. do that. Right. In fact, I, I, I can't remember if maybe I actually did that a couple of years ago, maybe, <laughs> I don't you know, because I mean, I've, I've still got, um, Oh, where it is. Hold on. Let me see. I can't even. Yeah, I can't so even find a copy. I, I've, I've got, you know, I've got my albums that are that are still available on my website, ericleads.com. My, my, my first album from Warner Brothers Times Squared, my second one, Things Left Unsaid. There was another album I did called Now and Again. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, yeah. and they're they're available just on, on, on any of our websites. So that's yep. basically it. Um, and all are spectacular. I mean, if those of you who like you. Uh, Matt, you're welcome. Uh, they are. Uh, if you like Madhouse, Times Square is kind of Madhouse inspired. Um, um, and uh, the yeah, Matt, Matt, Times Square was actually originally was going to be the, like the third Madhouse album, but I took right. it just enough of a different direction. That's when Princess said, "Well, let's release this under your own name." I said, well, "That's fine with me." So right, yeah, and then the next yeah. album is more your. Thing. Yeah, things that left yeah. unsaid was the one that I, I I really you know had the opportunity said okay this is where I'm going to be starting from scratch and and just do things completely on my own, yeah. um and and you, you know I mean to be absolutely honest I, I don't want to cut my nose to spite my face but um it is not anything you know if somebody is going to look at at that album and and, and expect to hear anything that's Prince like you're yeah. not going to hear no, that no, on that right. No, no. yeah right. but there's yeah. amazing stuff on there I loved Ela Mujeres uh, oh thank you yeah. That Thank cover you. you did of the Tears for Fears song. Oh, what Women in Chains? Yeah, yeah. Who, who is ha uh, Tears for Fears? Has a new album coming out, don't they? Yeah, yeah, I think yeah, so, brand yeah. new album that's coming out. Yeah, which is but amazing. Your, your cover of that, I, I oh, thank you, man. I, 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 I love that song by them anyway. But your cover, I, I, if 
it felt as emotional, maybe more emotional than with the words in my life. Well, I have to give credit to uh, the, the producer on that album with me was a guy named uh, is a guy named Gil Goldstein, and and Gil is is an extremely accomplished and and you know well known uh, keyboard player, uh, composer, and arranger in the in the jazz world. I mean, he's like you know a heavy heavyweight cat, and mm -hmm. I and I was very very honored and 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 you know very fortunate to have him be the producer with the album, and and he brought that song to my attention. Um, oh, okay. You know, I said, yeah, it was, because part of the producer is is to like you know bring something that is going to be kind of outside of where I would normally, you know, want to go. Right. And and, right. and 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 I mean, be obvious. It, 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 you know, we're trying to get we're, we're trying to get a couple of radio cuts off the album. Right. Yeah. You know. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, so it's a matter of okay, here's a song that that could serve that purpose, but it's still going to be something that that I can sink my teeth in and actually want to do. And, you know, we went through a whole bunch of songs. And then finally I said, because I, I you know, I, I knew the name Tears of Fears. But that's about all I knew. I said, well, here's this. Said, well, Tears of Fears. Okay. So I said, <laughs> oh, that's cool. I like that. Yeah. So he he did he did the uh, basic uh, the basic premise for the song for basic arrangement. Then I, you know, took it from there or whatever. He yeah. also, um, there, there's a song that I'm, uh, a Tom Waits song in that album called Soldier's Things. Um, oh, that he brought, yeah. That, that he brought to my attention. And I play baritone saxophone, and Gil's playing accordion on that, and it it it, it, it came out. I mean, I love the way it came out, you know. But that that's that's what a producer does. So I was very very very, and it, actually, it was because of the recording of that album. That's when I met Eddie Palmieri, oh. because the brass players on that album, some of the finest jazz and Latin jazz players, Brian Lynch on trumpet, Charlie Sepulveda on trumpet, and Conrad Erwig on trombone. At the time, they were Eddie Palmieri's horn section. And I got them specifically because I wanted Eddie Palmieri's brass players. Oh. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Gil Goldstein, so I said to Gil, can you get them? He said, sure. Got them. So I met them, and to them, that's how I met Eddie Palmieri. So oh, that's nice. So if nothing else came out of that album, that's how I met Eddie Palmer. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's interesting that you mentioned Times Square that you you said that was actually going to be the third Madhouse album because there are, you know, for for bootleggers and 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 the folks out there that kind of collect some of this unreleased stuff legally. There, yeah. <laughs> right. There okay. are there are four tracks that I'm aware of that were part of those Mad, that third Madhouse ones. Uh, okay, I I, I penetration, I are you legal yet? A girl right. and her puppy. I should uh, be more specific. Times Squared was going to be the second iteration, the yeah, second attempt. Right. We did a third Madhouse album, as you said, with those tracks. Mm -hmm. And it was still in the day when vinyl was how, you know, the, right. the production was going to be. Those four tracks on side A or B. This other side was the 18-minute long dopamine rush suite. Right. 21 mm. through 24 or whatever yeah. it was going to be. Yeah. Okay. Um. We recorded the album and several months went by and I didn't hear anything more about about it. By now, I'm off the road with Prince. Um, that band was, you know, ended. Um, that, that was the Sign of the Times Love Sexy Band with Sheila E and that band. Mm -hmm. um, and Alan is now uh, running Paisley Park Records. And I asked Alan, so well, what's the status for, for, for the Stirred Madhouse album? And Alan said, you know, so Prince didn't say anything about it for a while. So I said, well, that means that Prince is probably having second thoughts. Um, and I said, uh, you want to find out for me? He said, Alan didn't. He said, Alan, Alan got back and he said, yeah, Prince, um, 
Prince and, and Alan said to me, he said, Prince wanted to know what you thought of the album. I said, Oh, that's that's different. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, I didn't care for the album particularly. I mean, there's some things I not like, there's some things I like, but but overall I wasn't that thrilled with it. But it was not in my interest to necessarily say that to Prince. Right. Because you know, this is this this is how I earned a living. Right. <laughs> so I didn't I didn't want to necessarily just, you know, so I was a little bit, shall we say, circumspect. Um I told Alan, I said, Would you ask Prince for me, or I'll ask him next time I see him if I can remix a couple songs? Because I just want to kind of gauge what Prince said to me, said, Okay, go and take a couple and remix them. Before I could even get into studio, Princeton told me, Eric, let's scrap this one. Let's let's put it on the back burner. Let let's just put it put this one aside. Let's let's try again. I was all for that because it was like, okay, that keeps the project alive. Mm-hmm. Right. And I'm like, well, hell, maybe this ne- next one will be something I like. Any <laughs> <laughs> right. anyway, anyway um, Princeton came to me and and. He gave me four cassettes, analog cassettes that I still have of stuff from the vault, all instrumental stuff, much of it, most of it uncompleted, just work product. Mm -hmm. And he gave me the four cassettes and he said, start here. Mm -hmm. If there's anything you like on any of this stuff, run with it. So, okay, if you got anything your own. Now, the thing was, by now, you know, Madhouse was all, it was his, you know, everything was done from his perspective. Madhouse was his project entirely. This was the first time where it's like, he's finally, he's basically handing it over to me. The reason was that he had just gotten um, the assignment to do the Batman album. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah, that's... And it needed to be finished really fast. So he was basically saying, I got to go do this. I don't have time to deal with Manhouse. You're going to have to go run with it. I said, fine. So I took all of that material. Anyway, I came up with this album that was called Times Square. Now, I took the dopamine rush suite from what was going to be the third one that we had already done scrap. And I said, you know, part of it I really, really liked. A lot of it I thought was much horse shit. Mm-hmm. So I basically thought, well, let me just edit it down. So I took 18 minutes of it and I just sat and listened to it. I like this. I don't like that. This is nice. I think that's dumb. I think this, I squished it together. I had about seven and a half minutes and that came out on the album. It's just called the dopamine rush. Now I was a little concerned about that because this was something of princess that had already been completed. And now I'm just basically taking a knife to it. You know, that's different from me just coming up with something of his that's uncompleted. This was done. But I said, well, what the heck in in for a diamond for dollars. So I, when I gave him the final version of what I was doing and I said, look, this is what I did to dopamine rush. So if you're not cool with this, then, then I won't run with it. Fortunately, he, he okayed it. He he was fine with it. So Mm -hmm. that's how that came out. So anyway, um, those other four songs never saw the light of day except he actually sent two or three of them to miles davis and miles was playing some of those songs with his band hmm. yeah I heard, yeah yeah wow yeah yeah i'd heard that story yeah and, and I, th- I think miles actually recorded 
some of them with his band too. I'm, I'm not 100 sure about that, but but I know he, I heard that it was played live, but I didn't. Yeah, remember it, it being. yeah, but 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 you know, some of them were recorded on albums that have been released. That that he was, you know. So I said, fine, let him in. I didn't. <laughs> the song. You know? I I know we're I know we're closing up things here, but I, Chester, Chester did actually have a question. He said, did Alan have any part in creating NPG or I guess putting the band together at all? No. Uh, yeah, I I would imagine that. That's a that's a Prince control thing. That's that's been the theme tonight. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Because you know, all, all of us that were in his band at that time, um, 85, 86, 87, you know, we were under um exclusive employment agreements. Hmm. Right. So when when I brought, you know, like everyone else, when I was in his band, it was like he had to be a contract. No one put a gun to my head, said I signed, you know, but it was like it was a good, it was a good deal, but it was a three-year deal. Front running from April of '86 through April of '89, so th so that was basically that was what the gig was. So so when that came, uh, we finished the Love Sexy gigs. Um, we played in Japan, I think it was in f January or February of '89, and those were the last gigs that that band played. And we all knew that he he wasn't going to be renewing the contracts then because he wasn't planning to go out on the road later that year. And, you know, I don't know about anyone else, but I was fine because I said, good, this, this is all I wanted this to be. I signed for three years. That's all I wanted it to be. I had no interest in, you know, he, he actually did come to me and some other, you know, and, and offered me the option to maybe come back out with them the next year. And I turned him down because I, I just, you know, by then I was I was done with it. I got everything that I was going to get out of being the band. So now now, look, I, I he assigned me to the label. So I was, you know, just about my own music by then. So anyway, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, according to Alan, uh, Alan L one two six, is that your brother? Yeah, that's that. Yeah, yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh, so Miles, okay, so Miles recorded. Them. Hey. <laughs> okay, so Miles uh, did record them. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, so Alan <laughs> Leeds is on. He said that Miles did record them at ECM in, yeah. in Germany. I was looking that up. I think I left the L out. I was like, is that Alan? I wanted to. <laughs> yeah, Hello, Alan. Nice to in see. In fact, you. I'll I'll do my brother Sal. Here's a book in case you you know you know. Yeah. Somebody. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. You talked about that last time. Yes. Yep, I yep, think somebody mentioned that that uh, that the book was absolutely uh, absolutely fantastic. Yeah, and and like I said, you know, a lot a lot of it has to do with the history and 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 background, the Chitlin circuit, and all yeah. of that. You know, I so. wish I knew. I wish I was paying attention because he he had a bunch of comments in here, or at least said the best subway music is on the A line. And ah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, what else do you say? Uh, the EP is an NEA jazz master. Okay. Not Palmieri. In fact, they're talking about New York and the subways for, for many, many years. I think it just closed not too terribly long ago. One of the greatest record stores for Latin music and, and salsa and Afro-Cuban music um, was down in the subway and at uh, 42nd Street. You know, there's, you know, a cavern and labyrinth of, of subway, you know, entrances and exits for different lines and a lot of retail shops down there. Uh, and there, there was a record store there that was existed for oh decades. That that was like one of the greatest Latin jazz record stores in the world. And you know, I, like everything else, I, I think it finally closed not too terribly long ago. But anyway, nice. Um, Gemma, do you have any more questions? I mean, I, I am so glad we get able to get you back on because we had just a, a vi. I mean, <laughs> we had that long list of questions and you answer them so eloquently. And some well, you answer without us even asking. So yeah, <laughs> which is, is great. amazing. Thank you. <laughs> 
<laughs> completely psychic or psychotic. One of the two. We haven't decided. There you go. Yeah. I'm going to do that. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Uh, gentlemen, I mean, thanks. Thanks to Paul for, for yeah. joining us for a brief moment. And uh, again, the new L, the LP album, the last one, not the new one, the, the yeah, last yeah. one, New Words, is going to be available it's coming around Thanksgiving. Oh, yeah. I did. Okay. Okay. I'm sorry. Oh, right there. I, I, there it is. Yeah. And, and, and just, so, just so you know, they're guest artists on that. It's uh, Questlove, you know, yeah, plays on a track on, on this. this. And yeah. it's, you know, it did. I we noticed that, and I mentioned uh, this to Rob. I said it says additional drums and drum solo on "Quick to Dismiss." Questlove is heard favoring the left channel, mm -hmm. and Peter is heard favoring the right channel. So it's yeah. our. Um, so is he just? He's just on, he's on the left side of it. <laughs> on the yeah, left yeah. Side of the he's on the left side, and, and Pitar, our drummer Pitar, he's on the right, right side of it. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And yeah, they're, so and they're yeah. kind of, you know, playing off each other. It was, it was it worked out cool. Yeah. Quest, yeah. Questlove, Questlove has been um, a very, very wonderful supporter of, of all of us, you know, mm -hmm. Paul, myself, and, and, you know, for many years. And, and we're very, very appreciative of. Yeah. Of, he's, ext he's extremely of, purple. Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. That too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Pretty hardcore. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 some, I sometimes make him drool because of some of the, some of the private tapes that I have oh. that, that Questlove would love to get his hands on. Right. And yeah, well, maybe <laughs> yeah. someday. I, I, I heard an interview that said he spent, he, he spent upwards of six figures buying various bootlegs and things that he thinks are, you know, you know yeah. finds. And I, there's tons of them out there, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, but I, I wish that I had enough disposable income to acquire some of them, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. or at least bribe you in some form or fashion or, <laughs> Because Sheila E has also like she said she had like many boxes of of cassettes that are just sitting there of that. Oh he, yeah, he yeah. continually freely gave them out on a regular basis. But uh, yeah, I can't even spell six figures, so I don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I've, I've, I've yeah, I've, I've got some things that I've, I have a feeling are that only I have. I think some things. Yeah. Wow. Well, <laughs> nice. yeah. Eric, anyway. sir, once All again. Right. It is Gentlemen, an honor to have you on board. You so Everybody, you. you'll 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 hear from, you'll you'll hear from Paul. Um, you'll hear from Paul when uh, we, you know, get the final date and everything for the release of the perfect, CD. Perfect, perfect. Yeah, we absolutely great. look forward to it. Yeah. Thank, Thank you, you so, so much. much. Thank you, gentlemen, for your support. All this and listening to me run my mouth. I no, <laughs> we could listen oh. for days. But, yes. You know, oh, don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> Just not this day. And Alan, you should. You know, I mean, I mean, you know, nepotism no side. Get Alan on because Alan, you, you know, has a perspective oh, on so absolutely. much of this shit that you know yeah. comes from. Absolutely, would love to. You know, we've got, yeah. we've got yeah. Alan. You hear that, Alan? We've there got, you are. No. Got Eddie lined up, Al. Yeah. We're gonna. No, that that yeah. I, I say that because he's you know he'll he'll buy me dinner tomorrow night. So awesome. Okay, we'll get you I mean, dinner. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I told you. All right. Buy you dinner and take you to a Braves game. So. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> All right, man. All right. All right see you later. Thank you. Thank you. Adios. Okay, dope.